Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. You may know Chris Duffin from Kabuki Strength or his notorious strength equipment line including the Duffalo Bar, but what you may not know is his incredible backstory. His upbringing and adolescent years greatly shaped the person you see today. From former engineer and business consultant to world record holder and author, Chris has transformed in more ways than one. Enter his book, The Eagle and the Dragon, a story of strength and reinvention. Here it is, episode 518. Howdy, John. What's good? It's good to see you. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We are joined by the professor... Mr. Chris Duffin, thanks for coming into Austin, dude. Man, I I've been looking forward. We we it was maybe a year and a half, two years ago. We did uh, an online one, and uh, I've just been wanting to do an in person one with you sure. since since then because it's just so much better. There, you know, communication is so much easier when you're you can read it, just the energy, I guess. Well, I think it was two years ago you posted something about like, hey, whose podcast should I go on? And I think that there was an overwhelming amount of fanboys were like, Power Athlete Radio. Oh, yes, there was. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're like, who the fuck is Power Athlete Radio? <laughs> and then you reached out and I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. We have a fair a decent amount of your bars in our gym and have used the Transformer bar uh, more than just about anybody else I know. I mean, we've used it a ton. And, um, you know, not only that, but all your other just uh, normal, uh, you know, 45 pound bars, which fucking have some gnarly knurling to deadlift with. <laughs> I got a lot of, sl- <laughs> we have like one nice old West side bar. That's like a little slick. So you don't oh, feel yeah, like you're yeah. just fucking cheese yeah. grating in your legs. <laughs> but that Duffin bar, I'm like, ah, oh. and then, uh, obviously the, um, uh, uh, uh the Duffalo, Duffalo bar. Yep. Yeah. So we got that and, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, been some killer bars. So I was happy to connect and, and then learned that you were so much more than just making cool bars. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I was following Power Athlete, but I hadn't been following you. And then it turned out we had some very similar um, it, uh, hobbies and other stuff, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. So uh, it was, uh, it's was. it been good having conversations with you kind of fairly regularly since then about uh, some of our projects and things that fall outside of the scope of what we're going to sit around here and talk about. So. Yeah, no, it's always cool to talk about fabrication and off-road trucks and um, basically just stuffing massive tires under vehicles and putting crazy motors and things and then trying to launch yeah. them off eclipse. cliffs. We do have that fan base as well yeah, that we calls do. in and, and <laughs> seeks that information. Well, I, for some reason, we've uh, it's it's become you know performance, obviously, strength conditioning, uh, movie reviews, and now it's uh, you know purveyors of shitty old trucks. Well, <laughs> I mean, philosophy, leadership. Yeah. That's fatherhood yeah. depth uh, these are all good things though it's all about like trying to be better trying to reach like uh, to me these are you'll see common themes like in anybody that has that approach to life in other aspects of their life right mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's that's where you see that stuff come out and you know just like tuning a performance athlete you do the same thing with uh, with other things. Like for us, it's building custom vehicles and it's balancing what? Balancing stability and mobility and how those things work together as we add more power. What are the other things that we got to do to be functional and other stuff? Like uh, it's, it's the same stuff at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Right? And and the the one thing and I was texting you, like I don't believe in building in breakpoints. Like yeah. That's like a, a, a big one where, you know, this fails. I don't want it to be this. Like, I'm purposely not going to run a, like we were talking about um, steering shafts. You're like, oh man, I'm running a one inch steering shaft. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you have massive tires, but you're also riding, you know, hydraulic assist. 
And no, I, no, mine's way bigger than uh, the one-inch sector shadow. Oh, really? Yeah, explain no, I, break. Got, let's explain I, break points. What's the purpose? So, why? So, so break. Well, some people want to have a failure point so that mm, they know where the vehicle is going to fail. So then they can bring extra. Yeah, speed. but think about this from like a human performance aspect, right? I, 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 I speak about anti-fragility and trying to make sure that we're working on trying to make sure that we constantly try to buffer those and that we're building towards everything being so that you don't have a break point because you can never really anticipate. You can try to plan it in and all you've done is plan a failure point, but you're still maybe failing somewhere else. Like, and you don't know where you should improve at because you're not going to find what your capacity is to be better. If you, if you, if you plan a breaking point, you're, you, you don't know what your potential is because the only way to find your potential is to fail. So like in an athletic perspective, like I know you do some similar stuff as me, like we see so many people play in only these certain planes and it's like, no, let's get outside of that. Where's your single leg movement? Like uh, get on a belt squat and do some marching, grab a shoulder rock, do some swing, work in these rotational planes, work in like these other areas so that you can, you know, cause someday you're like, I, you know, this is all I do is squat. Well, you're going to take a step out and there's going to, bar's going to be misloaded or set off your back, or you're going to step a little too far one mm -hmm. way. And you're going to be, be, have forces applied in a plane that you're not going to be used to. And you're going to break yeah. in a way that you didn't plan on it because all you focused on was developing. Shatter, shatter is a better word. Was shatter. De developing your ability to withstand as much force in one, in, in one, one way. Yeah. The one plane of motion. I do like that term. We often in training refer to it as limiting factors finding what the athlete can't do because that's going to cost them a game or performance yeah. or opportunity. Well, think about it in this fashion too. Like if you tell somebody, and we were talking about this earlier, like per perfecting movement and not, not loading things until you've got good quality movement. And if I tell somebody like, I want you to have the absolute perfection in technique on your squat. A lot of people will assume what that means is I need to do a body weight squat or maybe just the bar or a bar and a plate. And in reality, it means, yes, you need to, I want you to, to load that, but I also do want you to load and find failure at times because that's the only way you're going to know what your breaking points are because that's, there's no technique under minimal, like you don't know what you're going to going to fail at. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been in some sort of clinical based seminar and we're covering concepts around, you know, buffering spinal stability and all this other stuff. And then like, let's go get on a bar. And I'm like, see you, Mr. Instructor, you're not doing what you say that you're doing because you didn't realize it because you never pushed your point self to this point where you could discover what your opportunities are. Yeah. It's like a race car. Yeah. I, you know, you go around long enough, you know, you got to figure out where the lug nuts are loose. And if you never, ever, uh, you know, push the car to the bounds, then it's never going to. Yeah. Like, what, what's my opportunity? And then, but at the same time, I'm not saying techniques to the win. Clearly not. Because um, if I tell somebody, I want you to put every fucking last ounce of effort you've got into this squat. I want you plus, plus more. Right. And a lot of people go, oh, techniques to the wind. Like we're just going to freaking go all in and it's going to be ugly and dirty. And I do not mean that. I mean, I want it still absolutely fucking perfect because there's no way you can actually achieve putting every ounce of something into it. If you're not focusing on 
finding what those energy leaks are, those opportunities, those efficiencies, being able to refine the techniques so that you can actually master um, and reduce the level of injury, which is gonna improve your ability to tolerate load with higher frequency, higher volumes, which is gonna lead to you being able to squat more at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So, cause hey, you know, you'll talk to some lifter, younger lifters like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm never gonna hurt myself. And it's like, do you realize what this means though is actually lifting more? Because if we're moving well, we're gonna recover better. We're going to be able to, we're gonna be able to squat more frequently with more volumes. And what does that do if we're able to pack more of that into a shorter period of time? This is basic, you know, training principles. You're going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. And so this is, I'm kind of diving into one of my like things I really preach on, but it's like, I really believe in finding balance through extremes by extremes. Like, you don't find balance through moderation. I keep saying moderations swear. for pussies, moderations for pussies. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, so, you know, you, people think that that's like, Oh, balance. Yeah. That's what that means. Moderation. And it's like, no, no, no. The best way to find moderation is to take those two diametrically opposed things. I want this absolutely perfect fucking squat and I want you to push it to the absolute max. And what do you do? You find something beautiful in the middle that could never be, had before and hey you live a little bit more of an action book life too i'd rather go that path maybe it's not for everybody but no i mean uh life lives out on the rails adam nelson oh yeah for sure and i mean that that is the athlete mindset for many they seek that competition whether it's a team sport or an individual opportunity say they are not in athletics we still encourage them to find strength competitions runs something to push and challenge themselves to find that extreme, whether it's a mindset or physical. Yeah. And like, I, uh, I don't lift heavy per se, uh, anymore since I finished, uh, my, my big squat last, last March. And yeah, what happened? Uh, did you hurt yourself? Um, no, I did oh. not. I, uh, you just hit your number and you're like, I'm good. It's well, it's a long journey. I understand. I've been lifting for 32 years. Right. And that was a five year journey. I went on. It was, uh, at the, the outset, nobody, I couldn't even say what I did because it were what I wanted to do because it was just so like bonkers off, off the wall, but it was, I wanted to demonstrate what I, what I, what I talk about, what I preach that, you know, how to be able to control and manage and stabilize, you know, spinal position and the methodology for doing so that you can, what you can accomplish with it. Well, let's take two basic movements, uh, you know, a squat, which is, we are neurologically defined to be able to learn that pattern in our developmental process, it happens around the nine month time frame in, a, in, a, um, in the, uh, in the develop, development phase. And the other is a basic hip hinge to be able to pick something up off the ground, a deadlift. And so we see people that have excelled in one or the other, but nobody had ever squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. I'm like, I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna do it for reps just to leave no question in the tank. Same right? day. No, not same day. <laughs> it was four years apart, in fact. <laughs> You're like, I need that no, long no, to no, recover. No, no, yeah. But, uh, but uh, it, it was to get there, like I pushed my absolute limits. And there's a lot of things from a, you know, a health and longevity standpoint that, you know, you compromise. There's always compromises made when you're ch trying to do something that's just really out there as an extreme. And that's okay. Uh, but it was, I knew when I was done doing that, that, I wanted to shift my focus. I wanted, I have other, say grand, I call that the grand goals, kind of play on word, but it was, uh, 
there was three pieces to it. One of them was inspiration and motivation, like to show people just like you could accomplish things that people think are just completely impossible. You can do it. If you set your mind to it, you're disciplined, you understand the, like you can pull off some amazing things. Um, the second piece of that was to demonstrate the principles. Like I walk the walk, I do what I say. A guy like myself who literally had to work, learn to walk again from a back injury in his past could do this with no back pain and uh, accomplish something that really pushes that to the max and shows that I'm not genetically gifted for one or the other because I did both. And the last one is uh, raising money for charities for things kind of based on my, my upbringing. <laughs> but um, um, it, was, it was so far out there, like I, it was towards the end of my career and I knew it, at that point, once you do that, to push it to another level or even to maintain that level is just not uh, feasible. It detracts from my life in other areas and I really have some big things that I want to do in the, uh, in the world to affect others mm -hmm. and to help others um, you know, live a better life with my, through my business, through my writings, through all these other things with my family and then just focusing on health and longevity. So my goals have shifted. But back to your point, like there's always something to focus on. If people follow my channel, they'll see I pick these weird kind of crazy goals here and there. And I do things that people are like, what? Wow, that's weird. And off the top, like right now I'm, I'm working on a, uh, a loaded, so a barbell uh, a sissy squat with no assistance. And do you see those done? No. <laughs> I have to use the transformer bar to offset the load a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, trying to get to near toes to the ground, a sissy squat with uh, 145 pounds. So and it's just random. There's other things from there. It's just like these other things I have to keep that keep me focused, mm -hmm. trying to find and improve my way myself in different ways. Crazy. No, I mean it's yeah. No, the so the thousand pound. So you did a thousand pound squat for three. Yep. And then you did a thousand pound deadlift for a three. Technically, the squat was a thousand and one pounds. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. every ounce counts. Thousand and one. Right. Uh, what, uh, uh, just wraps in a belt, uh, wraps in a belt, okay. uh, duffalo bar. And so that, uh, um, and then, yeah, I just, that's products I believe and what I use and like, why, why use a straight bar? I'm not in competition. Like why put the stress on myself and then, uh, a thousand and two deadlift, uh, for, well, it was a double. I didn't lock out the third rep. Pussy. I, I, the coward. You were my, afraid. Real piece of work. I, I yeah. But, Failure. But, Failure. It, but it was also sumo, right? Which is cheating. It is, yeah. And and I and I and I and I wore I, I wore wrist wraps too. Uh, you, uh, oh, straps. So um, I it doesn't even count. Like well, I mean, I, but didn't but didn't you build like a special bar like that was, you know, I don't know, like way thinner so it could get more whip. It was a Texas deadlift bar. I, I'm just yeah, yeah. I did actually have to weld some extra pieces on the end to get the weights on. So because if uh, not, they were just going to come just, flying off. Is yeah. that extra two pounds? Uh, it was. Yeah, it was a forty-seven pound bar. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was all weight afterwards because uh, it was a Guinness World Record. So. Oh, was it? Yeah. So uh, it still stands as the most weight ever sumo deadlifted, uh, just the single. But obviously, I did it for more. And uh, yeah, so there was a, a mayor present. There was it was done at a at the end of a, a powerlifting national competition. Um, so I had like the the head person, and I, we did all the stuff that you've got to do: record the whole event and send in the videos and weigh all the weights under video immediately. There's a whole lot of like stuff and technicalities you've got to do around that. But yeah, 
Wow. So that was the most ever sumo deadlift. That's crazy. So was it to get the goal? Was it to get a Guinness World Record or was it the weight? The goal was the weight. Um, whenever possible, I'm like, well, I would like to document these things uh, however I can so that there's something. But that wasn't the goal. Um, this is why I like the squat but it wasn't able to capture anywhere. It's just, and so the whole like, oh, I'm the only person to have done both isn't really captured anywhere other than, you know, online on video, but like, um, but that's, that's fine. I mean, I, there's not a competition for that, but I wanted to do these things under load for volume because that really is what taxes the ability to maintain and, and control those positions. Yeah, it's not the first one, it's the second one. Yeah, it, ah, 30 yeah. seconds under under a squat, a thousand pounds is pretty, like watch the video and you'll see how easy the first one is. I mean, it just blows up. And the second one's like, yeah, well, I don't know. Now and then the party. third one is like, I'm lucky I didn't pass out. <laughs> like there was every last drop I had. <laughs> what's uh, like, what's, I mean, obviously nothing's going through your mind. You're kind of in a state, like a zone. Um, you know, just trying to survive, I guess. You kind of go into that, uh, you know, most basic of, of like uh, mindsets, but uh, like what's going on in your mind as you're approaching this? Are you like, you know, I'm going for four or is it like three's the goal if I can get one? I mean, like what's, what's kind of the, the mentality? I wanted five. I wanted five. My wife told me I had to get five too. So, and that first rep, I still, you know, you have that uh, super compensation effect when you've done your training and everything right. And so leading up to it, I was squatting, the average load at the final phase, I think was 985 pounds uh, for eight to nine repetitions every week. So, and it was, that was built up over the series of months from, you know, 955 or something, you know, a little ways out building into that. And uh, the way that you feel and how strong you are and the recovery, you know, you, you've got that accumulation of fatigue. And I walked in that day and that first rep, I came up out of that and I went, Oh yeah, I'm pushing five today because it was just so fast, so strong. And then a second rep, <laughs> I'm coming up and I get to the top and I'm like, oh yeah, remember Chris, this is doing it for reps. <laughs> You're gonna struggle with this next one. <laughs> like, so uh, that was my only chance to think was between those, uh, <laughs> between those, you know, those those microseconds between the between the repetitions. But that was that was what was went through my mind. First one was like, oh yeah, today because it just. I finally let myself recover. Everything had come out and I just felt like freaking just so strong. And I'm like, thousand pounds felt like I unracked it. And I, I was like, oh my God, this is so good. I hit that first rep and I'm like, I'm going to kill this. And uh, I still barely got my three reps. So, <laughs> so then, uh, and now then you did the squat four years or you did the deadlift four years later or the, uh, deadlift? The, the deadlift I did first. Cause I was much closer on the deadlift. It actually only took me, I think 11 months of training. Uh, to get to uh, the deadlift to start with. So that's uh, when I first retired from, from powerlifting, going to competitions. I, I said, I said, I'm going to deadlift a thousand pounds. It's just something I really want to do. I don't care the conditions. I can't really do it in a, in a competition because I can't grip it. I've got massive elbow trauma. I've had surgery on both of them. I can't get them anywhere close to straight. So um, an over under grip that allows me to hang on to a bar just isn't like the bar will hang out six inches on in, in front on one side. And my hands are too thick and meaty to get all the way around a bar to, to do a hook grip. I can't actually hook. I, I can touch my thumb, but I can't hook it because there's no space left. Actually, sure. there's a little more space now. Back then my hands were a little, or little like bit. Sausage yeah. patties. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, so I'm like, I'm gonna wear straps, but that's where I came up with like, hey, let's document this in the Guinness because Guinness has um, the, they have powerlifting record and then they had the uh, strongman record and strongman allows uh, straps. So I'm like, Guinness will allow straps. And so I'm like, well, let me, let me ask Guinness. And so I sent in an application saying, what about the most weight ever sumo deadlifted? Um, and uh, it was approved uh, with, the use of, uh, with the use of straps. So I was like, all right, let's do this. So it was a way I could sneak that one in into a record book. But yeah, like uh, I said, it wasn't the, wasn't the goal. Didn't uh, um, Eddie Hall and Half Thor and those guys, I mean, they all use straps when they pulled conventional. Straps and, uh, and, a, and a suit and deadlift suits too, which so it's like, but somehow sumo's cheating. So, you know, like I said, it's all, everything's relevant. No matter what you do, people are going to say, yeah, like well, people listening to this, they're going to be like, whatever, that's fucking cheating this and that. And you're like, the bar barely moved and da, 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 you know, like it doesn't like, no matter what you do, there's a, always an opportunity to point a finger and say, ah, well, there's steroids, there's this, there's that, whatever. Well, like, it doesn't matter. Of, there's a lot of people, there's a lot matter. of people at, at gyms that take steroids that don't deadlift a thousand pounds. <laughs> Yeah. Just a few. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> no, but, yeah. but my point was like it no matter what you do, there's there's people that'll be detractors, and that just is what it is. Yeah. This is what I wanted to do. I think as long as you're looking at outputs, not necessarily inputs, like you're pushing out this information, you're doing this, and uh it's not like you're necessarily doing it to garner favor or uh admiration yeah. or whatnot. Like no. if I do this, everybody'll love me. Yeah. And uh, that's where I think a lot of this shit gets kind of a little off the rails. But now you have people oh, that are I doing knew. things just, you know, to be admired and be adored and, you know, the admiration of a bunch of people you don't know. By shooting, dry scooping eight scoops of pre-workout, you know, on TikTok and stuff like that, too. It's just like stupid stuff. But, yeah, when I went to do this, I knew there would be a massive amount of detractors. And there certainly are. Like, ah, whatever. I did this because what was I wanted detract? to do it. Uh, like, what were people upset about? What was the detraction? Uh, it's not a, it's a gym lift. Yeah, it is. Ah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm like, find anybody else in the world that's ever done a gym lift and done both of those. Any conditions. Heck, let them have a squat suit and a deadlift suit. Find someone that's done both. I don't care. Find it. Like, I don't care. That's why I want to do it. I want to go into territory that hasn't been mapped. We had a similar, very similar conversation. Laura Phelps, yeah. uh, she was seeking things that have never been accomplished before rather than setting records and trying to break other uh, records for female lifters. She just found different things that have never been accomplished before, like 11 times body weight, for example, for a total. And then she'd go after those goals. So similar, you're just seeking things yeah. that have never been done. But yeah, there's that. Oh, it's sumo. Oh, you're wearing straps. Oh, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, those wraps are too long. Well, for what, for this federation, but not for this one. And I'm not, I'm just gym lifting anyway, but yeah, they actually are legal and certain fed, like there, there's, a, there's yeah. always, you're using the duffalo bar instead of a straight bar. Yeah. Why would I fucking want to use a straight bar to squat with? I'm like, the only reason to use a straight bar is if you're a competitive Olympic lifter or a competitive power lifter where you're forced to use a bar. Like that's the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not me anymore. <laughs> when uh when you did powerlifting, um how was your bench press with the elbows? That which sucks. Uh I I never got anywhere close to my potential because of it. So, so I no bench pressing a thousand pounds? No bench pressing a thousand pounds. So uh the best I did was 
like upper 500s in, or sorry, upper 400s in competition, low, low 500s in the gym. And the crazy thing is that's what I did when I was, when I was like 15 years ago, when I was in my twenties at 30 to 40 pounds lighter and, and being a natty. So I never, like, I could never progress no matter, like I got so much stronger, so much like, you know how hard the duffalo bar bench is? Mm -hmm. It's significantly harder um, than, a, than a barbell bench. So one of my training sessions, I was prepping for trying to set the all-time world record and, you know, I got to keep my bench up where it's at. But my neurologic guy just shut down because of, you know, well, the damage, you know, something's telling your body, I just feel it just like die on me. Uh, as I got towards the, 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 towards the, the top of the lift and it's like more stress on those elbows pressing out, we just like feel like I couldn't press anymore. But, uh, one day I was, uh, loading up the bar and I'm doing duffalo bar training and I'm go, I go to lay down and they're like, Hey, everybody get over here for, for, for side spots. And I'm like, wow, that's freaking weird. I'm like, it's just like four, four fifty five or yeah, four, it was four sixty five. Something like 465, 475 I was going to do for a triple. And I'm like, why are they calling all these spotters over? I get under there, pull it out. And I'm like, ah, oh, it feels a little heavy. Go down, press it, press it off my chest, get up to my normal sticking point, And it just stalls out way harder than normal. But I press the duffel bar halfway up, getting close to lockout. I get up and realize it was 560 pounds mm. <laughs> to a three-inch deficit. And so I was getting way stronger. So like I went from like when I was able to press close to 500 when I was way lighter in a, in a natty long time ago, I would, I'd be able to do 225 for like 35 reps or something like that on the bench. You know, in those days I could drop down and do 60. Now my strength was way up, but then I would just hit this wall, either both the fatigue or once I get close to this failure point and weight, just, it would just shut down on me. Um, and I just wasn't able to progress. So anyway, that's, that's where I was on bench. So no thousand pound benches. No, I, I just wondered to be, yeah. um, you know, competitive. I mean, geez, with, with your other numbers, it just feels like you just had to do anything on the bench to be able to be. Yeah. I mean, by, by, by normal standards, like, Hey, yeah, you know, if you're, you're 220, 240, something like that, um, in weight doing a 500 pound bench is pretty good, Yeah, but it's not on the class of, you know, when I was competing, I set the all-time world record on the squat a couple different times. You know, I squatted 881 pounds, 400 kilo at 220 pound body weight. Pretty damn impressive. Um, my deadlift, you know, I, I've always been a pretty good deadlifter. Like I said, when I was 198 pound natty, I was still an 800 plus pound deadlifter in, in comp. Wow. Uh, so that's uh, perspective. Yeah, 500 pound bench is pretty good. Yeah, no, it's... That's but actually... not as good as those two. <laughs> no. And I just... Yeah, it just it's frustrating. what's frustrating is I was really good as a bencher early, and uh, so if you look at those those numbers, but I literally with all the strength that I gained all the time, I couldn't move that I couldn't move it, and that's what actually got me into the sport of powerlifting to begin with because I was a really good bencher. Mm. My first competition I deadlifted five hundred and twenty three pounds, and my first squat competition I squatted five hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, you made a decent jumps. I'd say I'd say you did okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About twenty years later, yeah. but yeah, uh, well, I'm a slow. You know, I'm <laughs> hey, I, slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady, hard man. gainer. Yeah. yeah, just keep yeah. like chugging along, chugging hit, along, yeah. chugging along. I hit my best numbers at forty to forty three. 
you know, that's when I did my deadlift. Well, that's when Hatfield hit his, uh, his yeah. big numbers was in his 40s. He said he's stronger in his 40s than he was in his 30s. Yeah, so if you look at a lot of uh, really the top strong people in, in the world, like that hit gets hit in this 38 to 42 or up to 44-year-old uh, time frame. I think that's a lot to do with the neurological adaptations, the, the learning, the mentality, like all the other stuff, because we look physiological peak or, peak or whatever they say is like in their early 20s. And yeah, it's like, 26. Yeah, and that is just simply not the case for things that require that level in the strength, in any of the strength disciplines. The top athletes are not in that. Like they're just getting started. Yeah. Uh, strength is cumulative. It's not as much athletic uh, physiological peak testosterone, peak recovery. Um, you have to layer it over time. Yeah. I think the rock also fits in that category. Uh, how does the rock look better at what's he 46, 47 than he did in pretty much, he looks better every year, even his twenties, thirties, forward. I mean, I'm pretty confident I have the answer. Oh, uh, lay it on us. He has a transformer bar. Ah, he has eight of them. So the more transformer <laughs> bars you get, we're gonna need better. more transformer bars. <laughs> yeah, it's the secret. <laughs> yeah, there you go, <sighs> dude. Yeah, I mean, the reason he has he had four of the old version, and then he bought four of the new version uh, when the new one came out because he has multiples because they need to be at every yeah uh, he, he every location like, where he's at. So yeah, yeah. so, so ev- everywhere he goes, they build the gym. I think it's even for like a day. So he has like all these, like I imagine there's like no, a yeah, team we, of these guys. We, we've that, had to ship them next day to certain locations, you know. Oh, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, he, um, uh, I think it was um, uh, Gunnar Peterson told me that uh, like The Rock, like he had this one leg press that The Rock loved and The Rock was on him. And then like, he's like, okay, I'll sell it to you. He said like within like an hour, there was like a dude there that, to like load it up and take it and where they were flying it somewhere around the world because The Rock had to have that leg press. Dude, you think his private plane just has a gym <laughs> in it? I think he's got a cargo plane uh, that probably like follows behind him with all of his gym equipment. That's they, pretty you know, awesome. They build his Iron Paradise. So you, you know what else? So uh, you know the film in Black Adam right now. Uh-huh. The uh, he's the, fucking shredded. The the stuntmen and the actors they they have a trailer off site to train with, and of course they have to have the transformer bar and the other like stuff to train with. And uh, Marvel Studios now has the same thing, too. Uh, so they've got their trailer gym all set up, and uh, we supply some of the products uh, in both of those. So, awesome. He was yeah. posting some of those pictures. I mean, uh, like, just his leg development, that he, he he's really, like, fun, just unbelievably come up. I mean, it, it's, it's impressive to see what he can or what he's attained into his late 40s, early yeah. 50s. Uh, look at how disciplined he is, though. Yeah. I mean, the guy is... You know, he says he's the hardest worker in the room. And you know what? He is. Yeah. Like that, that that guy, I've got much respect for anybody that works that hard and is that disciplined. And like, dude, it, uh, he's it, posting it, pictures at midnight in the gym. Uh, like on midnight on a Saturday uh-huh. night, I want to be in bed. Yeah. And he's fucking I'm like, I'm, I can't, I can't do that. Like he's, you know, got businesses. He's, he's in <sighs> movies. He's got. And then it's like, you uh, look, he's posting his meals. Like they're all like every, like he's on it. Like and tequila, got, a I, new energy drink. I yep. mean, he's got uh, I mean, it, like I imagine the, uh, like his tequila is like, really good by the way. Yeah. We, we've dabbled. Yeah. It just like in the price point, like yeah, it's super reasonable, super, it's better than, you know, tequila is the cost twice as much. I'm yeah. yeah. He's done well. The, um, uh, 
but like the one I, I'm, I'm just amazed. Like I want to know who cooks for him and the team of individuals. Like he just probably like a buzzer goes off and somebody like shows yeah. up out of nowhere and they're like, here's your meal, Mr. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. It's well, awesome. and it's all planned, you know, yeah. cause, uh, uh, his, uh, his trainer plans every, you know, has all the macros and everything. Oh, planned I found out, so. it. We got it. What? Um, the Instagram post, we got a little transformer bar in the back and squat rack it says Saturday midnight oil burning. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's him and his iron paradise with transformer bar racked up. Well, literally you will not see him do any sort of uh squat type or like walking barbell lunge, walking stuff with any other bar than the transformer. So, yeah. and uh, well, we get no, endor- like we, his he, shoulders. he pays for him. They've never asked, like they, they wait, they pay for him. They, I mean, he, he, I mean, he's had a, I mean, he ripped his, uh, uh, ripped his quad off. I mean, he, he's had a ton of injuries. He ruptured his through training or wrestling, uh, wrestling. Like, uh, I know he, he, uh, he ruptured his calf the same, the way that I have. So it's pretty interesting. He, he busts his ass on his calves, but his one is ruptured in the same way. And so they, like when he did the Hercules, they had like a higher boot and they kind of hit it a little bit, but I was like, fuck man, they got to like be able to just put something in there to fix that shit. Yeah. But yeah, we've we've made it into a few of the Under Armour ads where they're filming. So the video, oh, like cool. the actual video ads, and he's got the trance. I'm like, oh, that's so so that's cool. Like, <laughs> uh, he's got to be what 275, 280 pounds. Yeah, yeah, six four. I mean, yep. fucking rocked. I mean, literally the rock. Yeah, look at his Iron Paradise. Damn. Yep. Yeah, so they assemble that, and he's got all this machine. So that that's a tent. Where we're looking at listeners is an awesome tent, standard gym floor. And then bunch so, of machines. I see so they, one squat rack. They can build. Uh, they take like his Iron Paradise on set or wherever he's going, and these dudes assemble this thing with the equipment and build it for him. Yep. D a lot of D one football as well. They load up a trailer and then create tents like this to yeah, get uh, at training yep. camp. We had the same yep. thing. Yeah. This is obviously a lot nicer, yep. and he's probably got a team of people that clean it. Like he's. Uh, He's he's got it figured out. Man. So can the stuntmen train in this, or are they got to get no, their own? No, they have their own. They have their own. So, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is no, his iron payday. No, Nobody's sweating yeah. on the rocks yeah. equipment. Yeah, <laughs> that's just for him. Yep. There's another one for the for the stuntmen. They probably have the a actors. clone somewhere else. They're like, well, if you're gonna look like yeah. me, you better do my training. Oh, I want to meet his stunt well, double. Well, like, uh, Tanoy. Um, t- t- yeah, oh, it's like a real good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's his cousin, cousin. Uh, and uh, he's been doing it for the the entire time, and he looks just like him, and. So that's how they, that's how we ended up getting into the stuntmen and actors. Cause Tanoi one time was on, you know, he's like, Oh my God, I'm hurting so bad. I'm beat up and I got to do this workout. Cause I just saw the rock do it and I got to, you know, keep up with him. And, uh, so that's how the, the, uh, transform of ended uh, kind of spreading out through, uh, through that arena. That's good. Yep. It's like virally infecting. Uh, you can, dude, yeah, I mean, Tenoy, uh, um, Tenoy Reed. I'm, a. uh, like, no, I mean, dude, you never sent us a bar. We'd never met. Like, uh, I saw it and instantly uh, we purchased it and we had one of the original ones. And, dude, uh, we've used it uh, a ton. I mean, from everything from good mornings to squats to free squats to box squats to uh, to lunges. I mean, anything. I mean, it's been it's been excellent. That's good to hear. I didn't even know you had this stuff until I showed up out back in your training this morning. And uh, I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of our barbells. There's a shoulder rock. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I recall our introduction to French Contrast. We were loading that up for eccentrics, overload, and and having fun and messing. Which when we first got it, yeah. messing with the different angles and then using different muscle contractions to feel like, oh, 
Yeah, there's also um, there's also like some uh, out of bounds stuff that you're not supposed to do that we yep. did, where we like tilt, <laughs> put it up yeah. like this, and all of a sudden, uh, like. Uh, people are like, oh, how did that feel? I'm like, uh, like it was trying to shear my fucking spine off. <laughs> I was like, I know why they tell people to not do yeah. this because uh, when you put them up like this, it's just going to create this weird fucking load. And yeah, so the new that. one with the click pin, which is super easy friendly, we just removed those as options. From the, <laughs> yeah. the original cam design, we couldn't remove that. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, yeah, people are going to mess with those, and we just can't really tell them not to. Like, <laughs> it's not like somebody's going to hurt. Well, you could always hurt yourself doing anything. But, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a, yeah, there's a, like when you look at, like, they would send, um, it was like a printed out card that had yeah. red. And I was like, well, let's try the red ones first. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah we'll start with the red ones. We'll work down to the green where all the fucking cowards are. But yeah, we did that. Um, dude, so uh, um, honestly, uh, I read the reviews in your book. I haven't read it. Um, I'm stoked that you dropped us off. So I'm going to, I want to dig into it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was yeah. curious to know a little bit about um, some of your upbringing and, you know, what kind of helped formulate this? I mean, uh, we talked about a little that last night at dinner, um, just for transparency. Uh, Chris and I went to Lonesome Dub last night, went to had dinner and had... It was a, so romantic. <laughs> they did. They did set us for a table <laughs> two at the window. And I actually said to the lady, I'm like, oh, this is so romantic. She's like, it's actually cool over here. It's more air conditioned. I'm like, oh, thank God. Why, why are you all sweating? Uh, watching cops. And uh, so we sit down and like uh, all of a sudden the menu comes and I can see his eyes getting big because they got like you know, rattlesnake sausage, they got uh, wild boar ribs. I mean, it's all kind of uh, wild game meats. Mm-hmm. And, dude, the food was unbelievable. Yeah. That was one of the better meals I've had in a long time. It was. And speaking of rattlesnakes, it's a great intro. So uh, six years old, you know, I was eating a lot of rattlesnake, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't fine dining, I'll tell you that. So, you know, imagine, you know, we lived uh, in Northern California, and so at six years old, we were living out, in the mountains and there was no road into where we're at. It was like, you had to hike in, there's a little meadow and a stream running by it. And next to the stream was our camp and our bedding. We had beams lashed up into the trees cause that's where we slept. I had a younger brother and a younger sister and one other sister on the way, uh, living in this environment, just kind of running around. And the reason we had our bedding lashed up in the trees, it's there's rattlesnake dens all around. And so I was being taught at six years old, how to capture, and handle live rattlesnakes. So for my own safety, you know, you got to stick with a little fork on the end, you know, making sure that uh, you see it coiled up and rattling, you, you know, hit the stick on the ground in front of it so that it strikes. And when it strikes, you put that stick right over the back of its neck and you can reach down and grab the back of its head, hold it right there. You can squeeze it so its jaws come open and that snake will wrap itself around your arm. And uh, knowing where to cut it so that the venom doesn't go into the, into the, uh, into the meat, meat making yeah. sure that you never, you know, get a rattlesnake that's, that, uh, that's been in a bush, uh, and because it may have bitten itself, uh, before it dies, which they'll do so that they poison their own meat so that they kill you. Mm. Yeah. Nuts. And, uh, so that's, that's like, you know, you, you need to take a bath. Well, that stream, you take a gallon jug and you fill it up with water and you go set it in the sun up on a rock all day. And then the afternoon you can go dump it over your head and, and wash yourself and, and that's, uh, that's a lot of my, my upbringing. So it was literally homeless in the wilderness, knowing different mushroom types, catching grasshoppers, putting them on a, on a fish hook and going down, up and down the stream, catching fish uh, during the day so that when my parents got back from doing what they were doing, I uh, would have some, some uh, brook trout and cook it up for dinner. 
Were they uh, working up in the humble kind of yeah. gold triangle area? Yeah. Doing what they do up there? Doing what they do up there, which is yeah. easy. You know, yeah, yeah. They're growing weed. Yeah. So, um, but oh, this yeah. is. It's legal now. I guess yeah. we can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but this is back in the 80s. And so people that aren't familiar with that, that area, like, so I talk about my experiences, which they're not all bad. Like, growing up in that environment isn't a bad thing. And a lot of it, it just like was really beneficial uh, to me to have a different perspective in the world than a lot of people do today. But what people don't realize when they want to glamorize that type of life is that the other people that are hiding out from the world maybe aren't doing so for altruistic reasons like my parents were. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of bad things. And so, yeah, I was in the midst of, you know, just, well, in my family, drug and alcohol abuse, but there was drug running. There was, I, I, you know, I, dealing with murderers, dealing with the serial killer, dealing with human trafficking that affected my my family being taken, you know, there was, you watch the movie, uh, or not the movie, the documentary series on Netflix, uh, Murder Mountain. Yeah. And also that Finding Bigfoot too. It's another and, one that and, came out. And you'll, you'll understand like when I'm talking through the book and you're hearing these stories and police corruption and people going missing, like just how real I'm talking about. So, uh, we were actually from where that documentary took place. I was telling you last night, 50 miles north and just a little bit uh, east, so deeper into the wilderness uh, than that area, um, which is doesn't sound like a lot, 50 miles, but that's like a three-hour drive in that area because it's just so, it's uh, next to it, they call it the Trinity Alps and because it is, it's it, it literally is like that. So it's just so windy roads, it just moves slow. Um, so and when you're like, you're remote and uh, which has to deal with some of the police corruption and other stuff that took place because there was people preying on people in the, these areas, which is kind of what we were affected by. So anyway, it was that, you know, was when, it always like, um, uh, like, uh, you know, drug running old hippies or like when did like the MS 13 and the Mexican mob and all that kind of like uh, mafia stuff kind of come in? I mean, cause like when that hit, that's when all of a sudden shit got real. Yeah. Real so in the area there that we were there, there wasn't as much of that going on, but there was still, you know, even in the hippie days, uh, which is, you know, because there's a lot of, in my story, you'll hear about us living in kind of commune type areas and uh, earlier than that, kind of growing up. And that's what my parents, you know, my mom was highly intelligent. Uh, she was going to school to be a chemical engineer. She was top of her class when she said, you know, uh, uh, fuck society. I'm going to figure out a way. This is not me. I don't want to be part of it. My dad was a member of Mensa. My, you know, like my stepfather was at the same level, arguably the most intelligent of all them, but crazy artistic type that couldn't freaking manage life. Um, and, you know, we read, we were at the library, like we get into town like once or twice a, a month or once every couple months and just get stacks of books. And that's what we did is read and research, you know, by candlelight, flashlight, so on. Um, and, uh, but there were still people running around with machine guns protecting their crops and out in the wilderness and people disappearing. You didn't, you know, it was still, but uh, some of that was starting, that transition was starting to happen in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and then it uh, kind of got worse from there as that, uh, that, that happened. So, but, you know, it wasn't all, you know, like camping and, you know, in the wilderness stuff. That's probably about half the time. The other half we were living in town, typically during the school year. But a lot of times it was maybe a house that didn't have running water or electricity or either, or maybe a condemned home with no doors. Like it just kind of varied. Um, and uh, we got taken by the state for a while, uh, us kids, my mom taken to jail, 
um, that kind of ties in with the human trafficking stuff. And I just, it's in the book. I'd rather just not talk about that stuff. It's kind of hard. Sure. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, just give a moment there. No, no. Uh, dude, um, hey, uh, take as much time as you and, need. Uh, but uh, when my parents got us back, you know, they decided, okay, the drug trade's not a good thing because we can't lose our kids again. Like, we were a tight family. It was like us against the world, you know? Like, I was out there working with them. Like, it was, we were together all the time. I was helping raise my sisters while they were tending the crops uh, or in later. So we moved up to Oregon and kind of quickly kind of fell back into, yeah, society's kind of, we're going to go figure something out. So we ended up in the mountains uh, researching, uh, gym, uh, researching geology and tracking down uh, and doing prospecting and doing mining and things of you know that nature, and that's uh, a lot of what we did. So physical activity very early for me. So you know we're scaling. I, I'd be the one that have to scale up out of the ravines with 100 or 200 pounds of uh, uh, rocks on my back. You know, in the, in the heat like we're dealing with right now, um, and that's just like that was my life uh, for a lot. So it was it was just it was it was different. By high school we had some stability as far as home life. Uh, we had a, my, my stepfather who this whole time had a broken arm while he's running chainsaws and digging and doing all this stuff. It finally won a disability suit and they went and grafted a bone in there and he got a few thousand dollars and we bought this uh, mobile, down payment on this mobile, mobile home. It was definitely not to coat. <laughs> no doors inside, no kitchens, no whatever, but I have running water, had electricity some windows that we could crank close and put some uh, plastic over so the wind didn't blow through. And so I had that through high school and that was uh, uh, some stability. I found a job and helped start getting money to the family, but kind of mental health and alcoholism and drugs kind of started getting worse uh, with uh, it, you know, at home. And when I left to go to college, I, you know, I had to figure out a way to, to get out of that. I mean, I literally watched my friends and people around me die. I watched people go to prison, people lose themselves to drugs. Um, this was, this happened around me and I'm like, this is, I didn't see success. I didn't have a mentor or a role model or anything like that, but I'm like, I kind of burning bridges, you know, like type mentality, but like, cause I had no place, I had no fallback plan. There's no like bed at home or anything. So, uh, so I, I went out and did it and I went to, uh, went to college and things got worse at home when I oh, got down. So, so I took custody of my three younger sisters, uh, one at a time until I had all of them. Uh, and I raised all of them through their teenage years while I worked on my, I was working on a dual engineering degree. Then I was working on the MBA and yeah, I was working the whole time too. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to OIT, an engineering school down in Southern Oregon. Yeah. So I actually recently got a, uh, I'm on their advisory board. Uh, awesome uh, for the engineering uh, college, and uh, actually have a uh, an award from them for uh, scientific achievement too. So uh, with uh, what I've some of the stuff that I've done out there in the uh, in the field, and so it's uh, pretty good. Um, actually, the president's writing a blurb on my. I'm releasing a second edition of this. So nice the college. So congratulations. Yeah, kind of cool. So but yeah, I did uh, did all that while I chased uh, chased all that stuff. So that's the early half. That's like uh, that's the eagle, uh, which is. To me, it's this. So, this would be a, this book is not a book about oh woe is me I had it so tough. As you read this, you're gonna you're gonna realize what I'm doing. So every chapter is a way to drive you into introspection. It's to show you 
some of the lessons that I learned as well and how to apply those. Uh, you know, the lesson of the rattlesnake. You know, it's about fear. It's about understanding that you have to be able to control your fear. If you don't control your fear, if you don't, if you don't have and you're scared, that rattlesnake will kill you. It's its only intention. But at the same time, if you don't respect it and you're just overconfident, you're dead too. So, so I, I use this slowly to articulate a lot of themes, but I don't tell anybody how to live. And so the major theme of this first, the first half of the book is understanding that the things that have happened to you, and I don't want to disrespect anybody that's gone through trauma and say, oh, it's not important. I've been through it. Uh, but it's happened. It's not, it, it doesn't define you. You don't have to, when somebody asks you who you are, you don't have to say, I'm the person that's this way because I had alcoholic parents or this happened to me or, hey, I'm the, I'm the person that has a bad back and I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. I'm going to, you're like, these are things that have happened to you. But what you can do is every experience is just like going to the gym. Some, some of those sessions will beat you up. But every time, what, what does it do? It layers. It makes you stronger. Just the stuff we were talking about earlier, right? So every time you handle something, you go in and you push yourself and you have that stress, you have challenge, you have something that freaking works you to the bone mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. Out of that, you know that you can handle it. And in fact, maybe you can handle a little bit more next time. And guess what? Life's hard. You don't know what's coming at you in the future. You don't know what to be prepared for. There's things that are going to happen, you know, maybe to your family, yourself, like your job, your career, like, and, and so we see this a lot of times that people that le live an easy, comfortable life and never, I don't want to have conflict. I want to have leave conflict free. I want to have an easy life and something comes up and they lock up. They can't handle it because they're soft. They're soft mentally. Right. And so everything in, in, in training, we talk about, you know, the said principle, you know, specific yes. adaptation to impose demand. This is the reality of our world and all these other things. And sometimes we, we forget it because we're trying to find that easy job, trying to find that vacation to retire on a beach uh, and drink Mai Tais. We're trying to, and, and guess what? That's the end. Yeah. That's you when go, you're ready to fucking die. When you go into the gym and you do some curls every week, your arm it's stronger. And what does stronger mean? It means it's more resilient. It can withstand more <laughs> stress and demand and things that you don't anticipate in the future. And if you break your arm, you put it in the cast, atrophy starts immediately. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And that same thing happens in all those other aspects. But be clear, I'm not talking about like burning the candle at both ends, like just run into the fire all the time. Like, you got it. You got to sleep. You got to eat. You got to do all these things to make sure you're. So you have to take that time off, but you can't just keep taking that time off. You can't. It. That's the important thing, and uh, so that's what the first part of the book is. That, and then also realizing what your strengths are, what your capabilities are in the world, and that's why the eagle is is present. It is being able to fly to whatever heights that you can. The only thing holding you back at the end of the day is yourself. Sure. And I'm so like, I'm passionate. This is where like why I'm so passionate about everything that I do in the strength world because it it is really deep seatedly important to me. Um, but it's beyond physical. So at 19 years old, I haven't really accomplished that much in life. You know, I was valedictorian as a state level athlete, whatever. But like, as a kid that lived in a trailer down by the by, by the river, you know, like Chris Farley, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, 
uh, I went and got a tattoo. There's a giant eagle all over my stomach, one all over my back, and both of them are tied down to a shackle at my ankle. And that was to symbolize exactly that point. And so, yeah, I took it. Uh, I took it from there, and I became. I, I grew my career. I like somehow like found uh, that I was a decent leader and made connections with people. And next thing you know, I'm like sought after for turning around companies, like going in and running. I turned around, turned around and sold an aerospace manufacturing company. I ran automotive manufacturing companies. I did heavy industry, high tech. Um, I was a guy that was sought after to come in and fix or grow something from a, you know, a regional to a national to international presence, um, uh, that sort of stuff. And, and it, it was fun. So that's, that's the story of the Eagle. And then, then I walked away from it and everything else in my life, except for my kids. And that's the story of the dragon. Ooh, baby. <laughs> but there's a, there's a long story about my upbringing and why, like, I'm really passionate about the things that I talk about because sure. it is, it is what I'm meant to do in the world. And, and so I can't tell you how to live and I'm not going to try, but I'm going to help you try to find the things that are important to you, your values, and then how to, how to find the goals that you can build from that. So you can create a life that realizes those. Well, that's, that's the beauty of leadership in the style you approach. You have the symbolism and then you're aiming for guiding people to find it within themselves versus telling them how to live. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, the, um, uh, I've dropped it on here before, you know, I was a classics major in college and, uh, you know, uh, like read all this stuff from like the cynics and the, the stoics and all that, you know, that was part of the deal. But uh, I always remember, um, I think it was Seneca, uh, you can't polish a gem without friction and you cannot become a man without trials and tribulations. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you have to have challenges as an individual, just like you got to be able to polish a stone yeah. with, with friction. And I want to be clear, like I am not like talking theoretically uh, philosophy. I was telling you last night, you know, like right outside, we got some trees here. If those trees didn't have the wind and the environment working against them, they, and it's been proven, will grow to a certain height and they'll just fall over because they have to have that adaptation, the stress, the wind freaking hammering against it to say, take your, your roots and root deeply, grab the ground and like, you know, be robust and hold us right? Dig deep, you know, the same thing with the bark on the outside, you know, getting hit by the environment. Like this is what creates us. So this isn't just like human physiology. This is to everything in the world. There is no life without challenge, without stress, without demand. And so, um, this is, this is why you need to seek this stuff in all aspects. It sounds freaking cheesy, but development of resilience Body, mind, and soul is something I strongly believe in. You need all three of those aspects. And that's why I wrote this book, because all my businesses are focused on the physical side of it. And I'm pretty skilled at knowing the physical side of it. But I want to make sure that people don't know those others. And the, this allowed me the framework to be able to share those messages and articulate. That's the point of it. It's not, I use my life story to articulate those messages, because guess what? That's not my story. My story is who I am right now. Well, you're presently writing your story. Exactly. Uh, why do you think in present society uh, there's been this feeling of people trying to get away from these trials that everybody's kind of searching for this level of ease? Is it, uh, That's a good question. Is, is it just the, the fact that things have become, you know, and, and I've, I've said this on this podcast before, I think a lot of what we're seeing today in this world is the lack of struggle and people searching out to try to find struggle but in ways that are 
uncreative and more importantly, not very productive. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's a political or business or whatever you want to call it. You can create some sort of conspiracy theories as, as, as you feel appropriate, but it comes down to controlling the masses and feeding off of them. We are creating an environment where we, we have the population as consumers. You're, you're plugged in and you're consuming video and you're consuming, just in, you're consuming entertainment, you're consuming goods, you're consuming like, and you're not creating, you're not giving, you're filling that cup all the time. And that's not what life's about. So training, training, you got to fill your cup. You got to have a good diet. You got to have sleep. Sleep is one of the most important things. Life's not about sleeping. Life is about the output of it. It's where you choose to pour your cup out, how you choose to change the world. What mark do you leave? What is the reason for your existence? Try to find what is, what is that reason? And then you know, where do I put my efforts? Where do I pour myself out? And that's, that's we, where we create. That's where we, that's where we make our mark. That's where we leave the world better in some fashion for another. And that is not what we're being taught to do these days. We're being put in a nice, easy chair recliner. By the way, I've got a beautiful home theater I just built at home. So like I said, you gotta have time to refill your cup. But, uh, but that's the symbology of it, you know, is you're, you're put in your, your, your easy boy recliner. You got your, you got your Coca-Cola, you got media just blasting at you and you're watching one series after another. And life is just goes by. And you got a job that's nice and easy and comfortable. You go in, you press your buttons, you got your house with your white picket fence. And next thing you know, you're retiring. And then you're in the hospital on your deathbed. And you're going, where the fuck did it go? And what did I do? And holy shit, I'm filled with regrets of the things I wish I could have done. Because I sure was comfortable. I sure was comfortable. There's one one quote, and you introduced one. Cicero, I like it's. I criticize by creation, not by finding fault. Yeah. You, the things that you're going to remember in life are going to be some of the hardest times you're going to look back on. Like I tell my leadership team, like we've been growing hard and fast, and it's challenging. It's hard. And we're like, oh man, I can't wait till we get to this point where we break through, where we don't have the the worry of what the one month to the next and like just the, the stress that comes with this stuff. And I'm like, guys, 10 years down the road, five years down the road, there's going to be new people coming into this company and you're going to be telling stories of the glory days and the <laughs> glory days to are shoot right from the hip. The glory days are right fucking now. Yeah. They're right now. You don't realize it in the moment, but they're going to be the pieces that you remember in life and that you're most proud of. And when you felt most alive, Yeah, that's well, think I, about that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. think, I mean, it, it's um, I was subscribed to the idea that you never regret the things you did. You always regret the things you didn't do. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, like my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, while he was sick, we were you know, kind of sitting down and asking him, like, uh, Dad, is there anything left to do? You know, like what's on your bucket list? And everything on his bucket list was redoing the things that he'd already done with yeah. us. He's like, oh, I got to go do this. But you guys weren't there. I want to redo it. And uh, I realized 
that, um, you know, nobody is ever being like, oh man, I'm so glad I sat on the couch and fucking wasted all that time. Like every memory you have is you doing something and going out and living some adventure and enjoying it with other people and sharing these interactions. And um, I feel like a big part of this country, uh, you know, with with this kind of COVID lockdown kind of missed a big piece because I think people were sitting at home, plugged into Netflix, sitting on the couch and just either self-medicating or just hiding from the fucking world. Exactly what we're talking about, right? And the, and the question you asked me. And the other thing with this and what you just pointed out there, you know, I talked about knowing what you're like chasing, like what you're meant to do. But the reason for that is life is connections. And that's why it's so important about leaving your mark. That means you had a connection. You made an impact on other people. And, and, uh, that is, that is the most, like that is to me, life is our connections to the people around us, our connections to the world. And, uh, that's, that's like a fundamental component and understanding these things really helps you realize, well, wow, trying to find just like that job that has the high paying or is comfort and easy and getting, getting the house and the the car I want and all these things. When I get there, I'm going to have my have be in my place. That's not it. That's not it. And so once you understand that, you can start like framing like what your goals are so that you can, like I said, live a life that will realize that. Because life is about these things that you can't actually ever have. They're, to me, it's values. You know, it's this, it's this North Star is the best way to like, it's this place of perfection. And Every day, you want to take a step towards like this place that you want to be. But it's a way of being, so you'll never actually get there. That's fine. What's the important part is every day, you take a step in that direction. And it's pretty easy to sit on that couch and plug into the whatever, and six months rolls by, and all you've done is walk six, you know, six months to the left, and you didn't take one step forward. So I'm going to give you some examples of what I mean by values, because it People like, oh, I got like companies. I got my core values. They're on the wall. And like you walk in and it's like nobody, nobody's living that. Nobody's breathing that. What, what is it? And what is it for you? So for me, and these are some of them I had in my past career, my past life, but maybe not to the full extent. And I was missing some. So for me, big ones. And it could be multiple words. Competition, challenge, just competitive environment, um, just chasing those, those sorts of things. Yeah, grand goals. Chase, like those are big outlets, like doing business turnarounds and being successful. Freaking right on the money. I was, I was, I was getting that. In fact, I was making airplane parts. Didn't matter. In fact, I was making car parts, even though I like that as a hobby. Ah. The, another one uh, would be uh, my ability to inspire others to not necessarily inspire, but to bring about change to help people realize that they're more capable of what they think that they are, to bring to them that engagement in life, the feeling of being alive, right? And I got that out of the leadership career. Like, so making airplane parts, making the business successful, yeah, that wasn't it. it the piece that for me that hit that value was the personal change that I brought about. So you mentioned leadership. You don't you don't change organizations, you know, completely flip around from 
some fancy restructuring or business. You, you can learn that stuff and yeah, you're gonna use those tools, but that's not what does it. You do it from changing a person, getting them to be engaged, getting them to accomplish something that they didn't think that they were possible. And you'll start seeing change in their whole life. Next thing you know, they're going back to school, night school, to get that degree they always wanted. They're more engaged with their family. They're picking up fitness because they're like, man, I need to, like, you'll just start seeing it across the board. And then you start seeing it in an organization, right? But there was gaps. There was things that I missed. Like, I had to have a creative outlet. Like, that's like a huge piece of me is having, having that. And you could see it, and you know this in my hobbies and stuff, but like, I barely had time to touch it. And I didn't, like, I, I have to have that stuff for my mental health. Yeah. Continual learning. You can see that theme run through my life and a lot of the stuff that I do. Like I have to always be learning, right? It's kind of counter the competition, but I need a level of stability, security. Let's use security as a, as a word. Um, so the, the, like I said, that's complete counter to the other, but reflect on my upbringing. Like I need to have something to know that, I'm taking, I'm, I've got the ability to take care of my family that I can take like the, the living on the edge piece. Like, yes, I love it, but there's a certain piece I balance that I have to have from a security standpoint as well, just based on my, my upbringing. Right. So now you can start seeing like these themes and yeah, those aren't things that I can have. That's not a bucket list. That's not a Lambo in the garage. That's not a, and here's the important thing. Lambo in the garage. I don't want a Lambo by the way, but, um, yeah, you would never fit. No. A war rig I want finished. Oh hell yeah! That's my creative. Uh, that's my creative side, dude. I, I but I want to see it done, man. I uh, <laughs> like like the the you know you were showing me some of the pictures, just the systems and that. Like I uh, I hope you fucking drive it right out and just yard sale it. Just fucking flip it right oh, on its side. So, well, actually, my first plan. Let, let, let me finish this thought. So the Lambo in the garage. All right. So if you don't understand that why you want the Lambo in the garage, so ask yourself why do you want the things that you want. And ask yourself again next month and just keep digging and digging and digging, pulling back those layers. You can use the five Y process or whatever you want, but just take the time to keep pulling those back. Because if you don't and you don't know why you want, because especially like hustle porn, you know, out there like, oh, move till you grind, you know, 24 oh, yeah. Dude, That's the greatest uh, term, dude. You, I've never heard you that. You got to grind yeah. so hard that it, you're... Side hustle. I mean, that people, that's, their, that's, that's their. That's their. I fucking hate it. Th that's their job is cr creating inspirational motivation. Like it's. It's literally to make people feel good. Like uh, oh yeah, fucking, I don't yeah. think it does. I'm like, the lion. I'm the lion that's going to eat the, nobody, the week. I'm a nobody buys that shit, dude. No, there's no, a there lot. is a lot of people that really? do. There oh, is. Yeah. There is. But and it's like oh, just feel. That's why they have their picture in front of the the rented Lambo and in front of their personal jet on, and the, on you the know, phone. Like, First of all, hey, let's, let's let's do the Grant Cardone with a stack of money on the table. Let's, let's like uh, let's get rid of this Lambo thing first. Like that's cool let, until let, the first time you have to yeah. get the oil changed or have to put new tires yeah. on it, and you realize that you just spent five thousand dollars on an oil change or twelve thousand yeah. dollars on tires. You don't want a fucking okay. Lambo. Well, pick it, pick another. <laughs> yeah. It, so so here's it. Let me get this done. So I want a war rig. <laughs> What if you, maybe you want that because you, you know, it, it, it means success to you that, uh, that, you know, this achievement thing was big, right? And hey, that's fine. But what if it was like, for my example, the security, what if it meant to you, like, if once I get to that point and I have those things, it means I'm, I'm going to be able to take care of. And if you didn't know that, 
what if you over leveraged yourself to get those things? Because all I know is I want those things. And now oh. life sucks. You're stressed now I just out. Kind of threw up in my and mouth. you're just but right? Yeah. Why do you want the things you need to understand this? Like Did, uh, and, but, and, and it doesn't but think about this, right? You like like you grew up in on in an austere environment. And so, like, I always wonder, like, there has to be, and then this is something, and maybe this goes back to, uh, you know, the fact that I watch Fight Club too many fucking times, but like, you know, the shit you own ends up owning you, like too much stuff makes me fucking nervous. Like, like the amount of stuff we have in the building, like, I always think like, what if somebody just knocked on our door and bought it? Like it happened in Newport beach. I don't know if I could get out of this place in a a month. I mean, the amount of stuff I have. Like, I mean, with the gym and all that, they would just have to buy the entire property with the gym in it. I reflect on that same statement a lot. And the uh, thing is, I don't like stuff. I like creating stuff. That's the, th- like, people are like, oh, you must love, the- like, I like, like, I like creating something. And that's, it's the process of doing it. Like, you were giving me a hard time last night. Hey, when are you going to finish that thing? And I'm like, I didn't I'll give you a fucking it. hard I'll time. Well, what but, I was going to say was, but, uh, uh, what you need to do is invite a bunch of friends over. Right. And be like, hey, we got to get this thing done and just bring in some real creative people. Uh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Man, I could, I've could. i done that in the past, actually. That's what I did. I mean, like, yeah. if, if I'm struggling, I have, uh, like, one of my buddies who's real good. Like, I had my buddy Will come for, for a mm. week. And I was like, hey, this is what we got to get done. Uh, I'll do the same thing with my buddy DJ, who um, uh, is just like a I'm gonna give that savant some of wiring. And, and that's the thing, uh, again, reflecting on as you're speaking about my leadership principles and stuff like that and, like, I employ this stuff all the time, but I'm not thinking about this in a personal project. Like we are talking last night, like people automatically assume like I'm CEO and I run my businesses and I do all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm just I don't. a pretty face. I'm just, I'm just a good looking chicken. That's what I tell. Uh, yeah. Except for the good looking part, but that's my, <laughs> that's my role. Right. Uh, so, and as you're looking at your values, don't, I'm going to just steer back to this because there was a Sorry. statement I want to do. Uh, we make tend here. to do this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we, fine. We are I actually, this is a, this is already, uh, but, um, when you're looking at your values and you're coming up with them, don't put any morality around them. Don't feel that you're like, I got to say this because it's the right thing. Like, you know what? I like fucking recognition. I like being recognized for the things that I've done well. Like, I'm okay with that. It's not all for just the altruistic stuff. Like, that's okay. If you want the Lambo because you want to show off and feel better, you know, to people you went to high school with or whatever it is, just understand the maybe a little more yeah, root than that, but, but like, but why like uh, if you um, want to be that's an, external validation, it is like like uh, and we, we were talking about like I think there's something yeah, you're right. Let me like, there is there something, something deeper. What we were saying is like on the internet that you have people, uh, social media, whatnot, doing things to try to garner favor, yeah. or more importantly, because like you know doing it for the gram, like yeah. uh, at the end of the day, like you do what you want, yeah. and uh, well, you know fuck the perception of other people. So for you. I want to be an NFL player. Well, but why do you want to be an NFL player? I you never wanted to be an NFL player for any other reason other than you I wanted to get you, paid to beat you people's asses. I said you could have been a gangster and it'd been just fine because oh, you'd yeah, have been paid been. to beat people's asses. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, right? I, so I, I liked being a bouncer. Because, you just didn't make as much money. Because you never know when those things are going to get taken away from you, that path. A random Sunday. I use this all the time, the NFL analogy. Random Sunday tag football with some buddies and your knee's gone and you're, you never even got in there. And you're like, man, life's over. I can't do what I was meant to do. And you go, well, why did I want to do those things? Like you can find so many other ways. If you understand the deeper rooted values that you can, that you can live and have those things. You won't have that title or that, that one way of the path, 
But think about it as a tree, right? And you're right now at the trunk and you've got so many paths and you could end up on any freaking one of those leaves that is all tied to the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So as life, understand that and you're just going to keep going and you're just going to branch a little bit until you finally find that one way, but it's all still that same thing. So yeah, you, you, you could have been a, you could have been a mobster, you know? Uh, um, I, like so, the, so there, there's a, well, me, I could have been a cult leader. You know, uh, so uh, you know, <laughs> still a chance. Still a chance. I, I was so, gonna say you were on the road to becoming like a David Koresh or like a, a Jim. My, uh, Jim literally, Jones. My, my wife jokes it because she's like, you know, that you'd have been a good, good, good at that. And I'm you like, it, a, it's you not too late, Chris. You would have been a benevolent cult leader. <laughs> uh, no, like, um, uh, like I never, for, for me personally, um, and I don't know how anybody else looked at it. Like playing in the NFL was never uh, my end goal when I was growing up. Not like, oh, one day yeah. I'm going to be an NFL player. I'm going to take care of my family. I, I, knew, I knew that, but yeah, I was. Yeah, like it, uh, I'm just saying. So uh, when I got there, what I loved was like the physical combat and the challenge of it. Um, if I got to be a professional, you know, boxer or whatnot, it would have kind of fulfilled the same thing. I enjoyed the training aspect. Like I always loved like the uh, Muhammad Ali, like. I never counted reps until it started hurting. You know, I got up and I did the road work because I knew other people weren't doing it. Like I, like that was what just appealed to me. And then the fact that you got to go out and then pit yourself against a, another human being and fucking battle them. Yeah. And I would have done it in a dark alley, let alone a, a stadium. Exactly. So that's spot on with my assessment, right? Yeah. And and so that's the that's the important thing to understand because. He said, and you see a lot of athletes, they define themselves as that. That was their goal and that's it. And then it, and it's over and then they can't find themselves. Yeah. And we see drugs, we see depression, yeah. we see all this sort of stuff. And they blow all their money trying to chase a life that was fucking never worth a while anyway. Well, yeah. A positive example of that is Andrew Luck, who experienced a season-ending injury. He was a quarterback in he the He was NFL. also a Stanford guy, though. Well, it's a big hold on, difference. hold on. But the, he openly spoke to when he had a season-ending injury and couldn't play football – him and his wife had these moments of like, who am I? What do I do? And then when he came back, played one more year and he walked away from the game because in that injury season, he was able to find more of himself versus Andrew Luck football player. Cause his father was also a professional athlete yeah. and he, he well, needed he, that he, taken he away from the guy. He was a Stanford guy, real smart, good player. Um, but he took a, he took some massive hits to the head. And I think yeah. like um, I was fortunate and th- I mean, Man, this is something that I uh, um, I kind of like analyze all the time. But when I retired from the NFL, I felt like my melon was squished a little bit. Like I felt like my brain, like uh, I couldn't like think as fast. And I remember what kind of dawned on me as I went back um, and I was reading uh, my master's thesis. And this was like 10 years later as I'm reading it, I'm thinking like, fuck, I couldn't write this today. And it took a couple years for all of a sudden like, that squish or whatever it is to kind of go away and you start feeling like yourself, you feel sharp and you feel that. And I wonder what happens with some of those guys, especially a guy like Andrew Luck, is he was kind of almost, uh, you know, let's say uh, bruised a little bit and you're kind of in this state. And then all of a sudden he has a year off and he started feeling like himself again. He was probably sleeping. You know, the sun wasn't bothering him. He wasn't moody. And he all of a sudden woke up one day and was like, I feel like how I used to feel like. And then you go back and you play and you realize that the game is what causes this. And then at that point, you're like, I'm good. And I saw this with a bunch of guys when they realized, um, I don't want to feel like that anymore. And uh, and I I commend him for stepping away. And the hate he got for stepping away was fucking fire from all the fans. Fucking pussy, coward, all this. And I'm like, fuck you. But 
we'll get back to that uh, stepping away and finding yourself though. Like when I said, Hey, once I do this and you were even asking like, what are you, what are you doing after? Are you going to be okay with that? And I was actually looking forward to being done. I was so ready to move on because I was thinking about all the things that I was going to do when I was, when I had that piece off of my plate and that I could shift those competitive, you know, interests, those desire for accomplishment, achievement, I could shift them to another direction. And because that is just one way for me to articulate or show or chase that value, but there's others. And if you don't have that, that's where we get lost in this, this stuff. And so it's uh, so, like, people like, oh, you're going to get, you're going to go back. You, you won't be able to. And it's like, well, you have like, no idea what I have on my plate. <laughs> well, but, uh, and I explained, the, already, I, I walked through it with you. Like, but, it's pretty massive. Like, the but thing you that, already accomplished something. Like, like I, I think if you accomplish your goal, there's not a feeling like of uh, like emptiness. No, I, yeah, I didn't walk like, away on my terms. Yeah. That's a big deal. Like, I'm real. that's the proudest Dude. thing I am of it is like, I said something fucking gnarly. And maybe not everybody's impressed, but I don't care. It was freaking out there and I did it and I walked away on my terms. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't taken out. I wasn't unable to do what I said. Like that's big. That doesn't happen that often. What happens is if you don't accomplish it and then something happens and you don't, then you have this feeling like for me, uh, I got hurt in my 10th year and you know, injury. And then it took me a full year to come back. And at that point I was like, I'm not going to miss a year to come back for what year 11 or 12. And it took me a couple of years to feel okay with it because I still felt like I had some, I, I could have still Unfinished played at a high level. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately in that game, um, you don't get to, very few people get to select when they walk away yeah. and it just happens the way it does. But if um, like, so you've obviously pivoted into a different direction for people that feel that longing, that feel that they haven't accomplished what they were intended to do. How do you counsel those people or how do you push them in the right direction? Is it something where they go find a new endeavor, they go back and they do it, or you just tell them to, you know, move on? Well, that's going to be on an individual basis, but it, it really comes down to walking, having them walk through the things that are interest and also scare them a little bit in life, the things, those other avenues and, uh, and trying to find that thing that stirs them up. That thing that causes some anxiety in their stomach, uh, you know, anxiety, fear, but also that little bit of excitement and teaching them that that's the signal. That is the piece that means it's your time to be able to turn into those things. And as you do that, that's going to mean that's not the one, but it's going to help you find that because that's what you're missing is this chance of that competitive, you know, aspect. And this is the path of of challenge and self-improvement that's going to lead you down another path. And we don't know what that is, but you have to stay in the practice. You have to stay in the practice of living in that fear and unknown. You have to be there because otherwise you're going to fall into that pit of despair. Like that's, that's literally, we're talking about, that's the atrophy piece. That's the broken arm. That's the, um, and, uh, that's the, the retirement with the Mai Tais and so on. Um, so we need to like, and that's really a message for anybody to stay that path. And yeah, you're, you're speaking of earlier about the ideal and aiming for that. Yep. The, uh, my John, I know you've heard this, but my Nana had a quote, reach for the stars and you'll land on the roof, reach for the roof and you'll remain on the sidewalk. <laughs> so I view that <laughs> as yeah. yeah, aiming for big goals. You may not get to that goal, but you're a better off person by having that aim. 
and really fundamentally that comes down to this this piece that I'm talking about as a whole, the adaptation to impose demand, right? The, that everything there's an opportunity. It's the secret it, of life. It, it could be. Right? I mean, it's, hey, it's, got, it's evolution. I, I've got you know, I'm 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 working my job, and you know, I've got this difficult conversation with a coworker. You know, every time they come around, I've got some anxiety. I don't want to address it. Um, there's this. Uh, the boss has got some uh, project that he's going to be looking for people, and uh, I don't know if I can pull that off. Like every time you get, like, hey, guess what? That's that workout in front of you. That's the next workout. That is your opportunity. Because that is going to be your path. Like turn into that. Because if you're feeling, that's an opportunity. It's an unknown place for you. And it's a challenge to step up and challenge yourself. And you're going to walk away from that going, oh, man, I handled that conversation. You know, maybe, maybe I could handle that thing with my, with, with my aunt forever that's been an ongoing thing for like 10 years that I can't deal with. Like maybe we can, maybe we can work through that too. Maybe I can, you know, maybe it's... Maybe it's like starting that job, I, you know, starting that uh, business I always wanted to. I've been afraid. I just can't take that step. I'm going to do that. Um, maybe it's taking a career path change. Again, think about some like really important things in life that are genetically driven. So this is like leaving the home. This is finding a partner, moving towards marriage, all these sorts of things. Like every one of those, those are periods of time where those experiences aren't they come with excitement for the future, but they also come with like a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety, right? But they're biological drivers that make us push through those moments. We're gonna push out of, you know, and not gonna be in the parent's house forever. And, uh, you know, we're going to seek a mate. We're going to take that a step further. Like, kids, am I really ready? I'm kind of excited, but I don't know. Nobody's ready for kids. You're never ready. No, you're but never ready. everybody always ends up taking a step. But now once we get past these big things that are driven by biology, that's when we start seeing people quit making those steps because there's nothing driving them anymore. So it's got to be a practice of learning how to recognize those signals and do it because and we get past that point and then that's when you start people seeing just settle in and then life just, it just rolls right on by. What did you do? What mark did you leave? What did you show your kids that they could do in the world? Like, demonstrate. Do it yourself. It's powerful stuff. <laughs> Be your own superhero. Be your own superhero. All right. So, uh, okay. So, as you've transitioned from the eagle and now you're into the, the dragon, um, you know, we like to talk about two dragons. You know, movie that's a reference to? Starsky and Hutch. Hutch. Oh, that's a good movie. That is a yeah, good movie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you kind of transition into this, uh, like what becomes, I mean, was that something where you felt like a changing and you're like, now I got to go out and get this dragon tattoo and we're going into the fucking, the fierce, the ferocity, the fire of the dragon? 100%. I got a giant dragon tattooed all the way across my chest, my shoulders, under my arms, across my back, and all the way around to the front with the tails in its mouth and it's eating itself. Sounds a little graphic, but that's... That's, con that's the continuation of life. It's the, you know, the recycling of the old, becoming the new. In my opinion, it is the uh, purposeful reinvention of oneself. So I had this career, I sought after, I made great money, a whole lot more than I make now. And <clears throat> I had a very comfortable um, uh, marriage, there was no, no complaints, no arguments. I had a house with a white picket fence. And uh, actually, I had a few homes. And 
I was uh, one of the top uh, lifters in the world. And I said, I'm done competitive lifting. I'm done with my career. Uh, I'm going to make some major personal relationship changes in my life because there's some people that just aren't aligned with where I want to go and where I want to be. Uh, one of those was my marriage. And I walked away from all that. I sold my, all my homes. I cashed in my retirement. I leveraged myself millions of dollars in personal debt. I maxed out all my credit cards so that uh, even if I did fail, I would have to basically work the whole rest of my life in my <laughs> old career, like living in an apartment just to pay back where I, uh, that failure. So it was, it was all in. You went all in. Yeah. I went all in. And so I founded, uh, this was over a couple of years. This wasn't like all instantaneous, but it was over yeah, a year and a half, you know, two year period. Uh, founded Kabuki Strength. Um, uh, ended up actually finding love for the first time in my life, uh, which was really freaking amazing. Uh, and uh, that's when I started exhibition lifting because I'm like, I'm, I just want to do what I want to do on my terms. And, uh, and so that's, that's the path that I went on. But the, the big driver for me was I knew that I could do so much more, that I could help people get out of pain. I could help people live a better quality of life. Uh, through the development of resilience. I had the knowledge, I had the ability to do something really big. And I wanted to reframe the face of fitness, rehab, and clinical care, and how they, all they work together. Like big, nasty, gnarly goals. It's fucking broken. So, and, I mean, you're talking uh, about is. fixing a multi-trillion dollar business. Out of and I, I can't broken. fix every piece of it, but I'm going to put a model, a scalable model in place that can, that can be run across the globe. And uh, I'm building the pieces that need to happen right now that are foundationally there before it starts taking that next phase. Um, but I'm five years in and I'm five years on track. Yeah, so and, uh, as he was talking last night, uh, all I was thinking was like, uh, because there were so many avenues that they were in, I'm like, man, I, it feels like you're, you know, a, a lot to swallow. Like, what about focusing on just like, hey, let's just focus on the equipment, let's focus on this. And uh, he actually was like, well, the reason we designed equipment was that we needed uh, people to move in a certain way for this bigger model. So the equipment, we needed to design our own equipment to meet our own goals because people weren't designing the equipment we needed to execute our goals. And then here's the training and this. And actually, the way he kind of tied it together, I was like, man, that's really super. Uh, it's big. Well, it's big, but it's eloquent because, um, you know, like we see this all the time, like, you know, if somebody's not moving well, what do we do? We kind of start tweaking, moving this. And you're like, well, what if we just change the loading? Like we were talking about those dumbbells yesterday. Or, you know, the uh, uh, like the transformer bar, which is so interesting because um, this is something I didn't even tell you last night. If somebody comes in and they're struggling with their squatting, we can start playing with the different <laughs> adjustments. I can find your perfect squat. Uh -huh. Just give me a few minutes and yeah. be like, okay, what about this? What about this? And we start kind of changing the angles. And you kind of put the loading here and here. And I'll eventually... Everybody looks like we have uh, my Perfect. wife. Yeah. Uh, my wife rides horses next door. Uh, so does my daughter. But the owner of the barn trains with my wife, and she's got a you know six years old, got a bum knee, and has some issues. And so I ended up uh, buying a you know a, a box for her to squat on. And so we use the Kabuki bar and or and uh, the transformer bar, and I just will start adjusting this thing. And eventually, we found like her perfect squat. And now all of a sudden, she can move. She she squits. She sits right down to where she needs. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, she's she's feeling great. She's like, my knee hasn't hurt. And quick, this is the reason. So we yeah. spent a lot of time, but this is the reason that ninety percent of all professional sports teams in North America use our stuff. We have the least uh, penetration in NFL. Yeah, I want to like, shout out Coach Josh Storms, Florida State University. Yeah. He gave us a tour and twenty racks, twenty kabuki bars, and imagine the different heights, levels, execution, skill levels, and they are able to hit them. Well, well, so just, like just the fact that it takes the stress off of the shoulders, and like I mean, um, there isn't a single person that's ever played uh, professional football that at some point doesn't feel like their shoulders are banged up. Mm-hmm. And to basically put yourself in that position, and then the other big one, and we were talking about this, is the way that the bar curves, especially sits real low on your back. So it's not so high that it basically feels like it's that, like that, a shearing that on cer- your fucking C, yeah that yeah. cervical shear C, C, C spine. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I, I remember uh, when I was playing like using safety squat bars and like having to drive them up so high because to try to like almost roll them back on my back so that uh, the fucking your like your head doesn't yeah. pop off. So, but yeah, that was that was needed to fulfill this greater plan. I basically have to invent those things to. Uh, to build from that. So I lost track where we're, Oh yeah. The, yeah. the, the dragon. So, so that's the purpose of like deciding it's deciding specifically who do I want to be in this world and, what, and try and becoming for, that version. Like what was the moment for that? Like, like did you just wake up one day or was there something like uh, lingering in the background or you just felt the transition? I, I just always amazed when people wake up one morning and do a 180 pivot and go in a different direction. It was a, it was a slow process. I mean, it was it was there percolating for a long time, but it might have ended up me going back to school to be uh, an orthopedic surgeon, a chiropractic, or a physical therapist because I wanted to work in that. Like I knew a lot now in that field uh, because I've been doing you know a lot of education, speaking at a high level, like doing all this stuff, uh, develop the the methodologies, the assessments, and all those sorts of things. And uh, I'm like. So that was lingering there and like how to make that shift. But I wanted to have a much bigger impact than a one-on-one. And so it was sitting there moving for a long time. And uh, I'm not sure exactly when I had the epiphany, but it was sitting down and looking at the kids. My kids were getting older. And I'm like, well, they're going to be getting involved in sports soon. And I I don't have time for that. Like something has to give. So is it going to be my training? Is it going to be... My my other family life is it going to be my 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 hobbies my creative space or is it going to be my job? Oh, it's going to be my job. So <laughs> that was the the impetus. So I'm like, you know what? I need to I need to do this. And uh, and so I'm not sure how exactly I decided on launching the equipment uh, side of that first, but uh, that was that was it. I was employee number one. And uh, how did you come up like uh, like like what was the uh... I'm just wondering, like, what was the headspace on the Transformer bar? Because that was really the first one you came out with, right? Uh, no, or was it the, uh, the, the shoulder, the shoulder rock was the first. Um, so we launched that when actually mace swing really wasn't a thing. Uh, so that took a lot of like education and buy-in, but it was just me. So that made uh, it a little easier to kind of build into it. And then we added uh, some employees. Then I brought the Duffalo bar uh, to market, and then I think the Transformer bar was next. Yeah. So um, and I was just sitting like most ideas. They just uh, most of my ideas come to me in dreams. So it's this uh, dream state and I'll have this and then I, I, I wake up, I jot it down or it's just in this moment. And like that that day uh, specifically, I remember I was sitting there and I was I was doing my training session. I'm using a, uh, a we had a, everybody has one, but they're all different. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, do I want to go with the really aggressive one today? Or do I want to go with the, the elite FTS one? And 
or this other one that I've made. And I've actually made this model, the transformer model before because I did, couldn't decide where it was gonna be. So I'd actually open it up and then eventually I'm like, where is it at? And then I welded it all in place. And I'm like, why don't I just put this on a cam and like just make it anything? What can I do? And, uh, but it took a couple years of like explaining it because I'm like, at first people were like, wow, that's a really fancy safety squat bar. And I'm like, it, it's not a safety squat bar. That's one of the functions. Um, I'm like, it, it allows you to push a, position the weight in relation to the hip joint, however you want. But people didn't understand what that was hmm. until finally I'm like, hey, you know, like a goblet squat, you know how that makes people like clean up their squat. They got really good, you know, sternal, you know, rib cage to pelvis alignment. They activate, you know, all the, the outer sheath correctly. Like all this stuff happens. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, I can load that pattern. Okay. And other ones. Oh, <laughs> because you, you can't load a goblet squat. Your, your shoulders and your, yeah, your, well, your biceps are limited. The weight's out in front of you. Yeah. Um, and then being able to explain, you know, that, then being able to use that and go, well, actually how that happens is the load now, it's still actually in the same spot. It hasn't moved anywhere. It's over your midfoot. What we've actually done is manipulate your spine behind and uprighted it. So we're actually manipulating your spine around the load. And, uh, so like two years in the light bulb started going on for people and, uh, then it just took off from there. Damn. What's the symbolism behind the name Kabuki? Uh, good. That's a good question. <laughs> well, you know what Kabuki uh, is? No idea. Uh, oh. So the Japanese actors in the samurai deal, they would wear these uh, different masks and put on plays. And so the Kabuki were uh, actors. Uh, yep. Uh, and it also ties to just a lot of things related to that. Cause sometimes the, in older, like the, the warrior would uh, do that. Yeah, uh, but you see that. Also, in a lot of other cultures, uh, going to war, the putting the putting face paint on—it's becoming a different version of yourself for a period of time when you need to be this person that is different, right? And so we can think about that in relation to putting your game day face on, putting your squat, putting and so I putting your squat face on. So we supply the equipment, we supply the methodology, but I can't help you with the mental side. I can write a book, I can try to inspire you, but at the end of the day. It comes down to you to be able to put that on. So that, how that's how that's how it's tied in. Now how the story, now how the name actually came about, was me drinking a lot in college. So, <laughs> so uh, I was known as a wrestler from high school. I was pretty good. And uh, in college, I, even though you know I had the highest graduating engineering GPA, nobody really realized it. They just knew I was this goofball who never went, showed up to school, didn't buy books, uh, because I had priorities. Like school was one. But I needed a life and take care of it. And I was also finding and exploring myself after this really strange uh, childhood. So I was also, I was working and partying a lot and I didn't need to go to school. I could show up and take tests. So I took advantage of it. I, you know, not the, not the greatest story around. Um, so people were like, oh, who's this guy? And, and, uh, and then one of these uh, trips, this is uh, right before, there's a point of this story. Um, uh, we took this uh, trip to California to present at this uh, a big symposium and the van broke down. I drank a bunch of booze that happened to be green because it had been, you know, marinating in, uh, in weed and my mouth was green. My tongue was green and there used to be this wrestler named the Great Kabuki. He would drink green stuff, spit it out. <laughs> and so I got the nickname for being this oddball weirdo in college called Kabuki. And then that just... Everybody called me that forever. That's like people 
just thought that was my name, honestly. And so I used it as a screen name on an avatar name for a long time. And so it just became a, a name. But then as I started reflecting on it and thinking about it as relate, I'm like, wow, this actually there's there's a there's a message here in a tie-in. And uh, so so anyway, that's where the name came from. Not the most uh uh, you I know, think it's pretty like, awesome. I think it's a, I, I think it's a lot better than like some like uh, esoteric deal where you're like, you know, I was trying to, you know, like a, it's like a, symbolism. Yeah, right? no, I, I like that. I, it's just I like, like that. that that's just what people. Yeah, it's like I had this one friend. He, uh, he's like, man, who's this Chris guy? Every, you know, I'd known him for like ten years, right? We're like, it's after college. We've got careers. We're hanging. He's like, who is this? Like, it sounds like he's been around all the stuff that we've been at, and he sounds like a really cool. Like, why do I not know him? And they're like. Andy, that's that's him right there. He's like, no, that's Kabuki. Who's this Chris guy? <laughs> like, that's me, dude. It's <laughs> like that. Your first name's not Kabuki. <laughs> yeah. So, so we pivoted the business name, and then I rebranded myself as the Mad Scientist. So, uh, yeah. So, how how'd you get into lifting? Like, where was the transition in lifting? Yeah. So, lifting, I started in junior high. I mean, it was 12, 11, 12 ish years uh, old. So, a little before the fifth, sixth grade, but I started just doing jump squats till I couldn't walk, doing push-ups till I couldn't, doing dips, backward dips off a chair, um, just to have that balance. Cause I was this ultra nerd. I, people made fun of me because my, you know, toes were sticking out the side of my shoes and my clothes were dirty. And, you know, it was just like, it was a self-confidence thing. Right. And then I started getting involved with sports and just kept, got into high school, got access to the weight room, um, found some, you know, I was working, so I was giving a lot of, well, I say giving money to my parents. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd see my mom grabbing my pants off the floor and digging out my uh, my money, my tip money from the night before and going to buy beer with it. But that's how it worked. <laughs> I never got it back, but uh, I gave money to the family that way. It was, uh, it's not a loan, it's a gift. Yeah, it's a gift. And so, uh, but I, you know, I went and bought off of the Nicolettes, the uh, concrete filled like plastic weights and the bars that were hollow in the middle. And I set up a weight uh, room on the back porch and started lifting there. And it's just always been with me as I started doing that. Like there's something about the iron, right? Like, uh, my, my confidence started growing. Uh, I was already a physical person, but it was kind of balancing this like really, you know, nerdy side of myself. Um, and, uh, I just, uh, and it was something like, you know, my family, my mom was a, was an incredible athlete. Um, my, my stepfather was just a big believer of like, you know, you got a strong mind, you got a strong back. And so it was just, it was, it was ground in, uh, you know, through my life and, and it just, it just got to be there. And then like around 2000, I moved to uh, Portland and I was training this gym and there's these bodybuilders, you know, running, prepping for a bodybuilding show. And they were massive and they looked great. And like compared to me, I was like small. And I'm like, but I run circles around them in the gym. I'm so much stronger and I can do more work. And like, I guess I'll never be a bodybuilder because all I had growing up was reading the uh, Arnold's bodybuilding uh, book, Encyclopedia Bodybuilding, and Bill Pearl's book. And uh, it was all bodybuilding focused. And I'm like, well, let me find a, a bench press competition. Let me do that. That's why I said it got me into it. So I went and found a bench press competition and it was bench press and deadlift. I'm like, what's a deadlift? Huh. I better learn how to do that. Did that six weeks beforehand. That was my first deadlift. And then I uh, went and benched 440 and deadlifted 523 at 198. And then uh, uh, I was like, oh, shit. You know what? I think I'm doing this the rest of my life. And then I found about powerlifting. They had all three. So mm -hmm. I had to, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll learn to squat. And so that's uh, that's how the journey started. Yeah.
it self-taught or did you have a coach that you sought out? Uh, I found a coach a few years in, uh, ex- uh, and I had a coach for a couple years, but uh, most of it was, yeah, kind of self-taught. And then around 2009 or 10, uh, I met uh, my friend, Dr. Philip Snell, who's the one that kind of introduced me to a lot of the leaders and shakers in the clinical community. Um, so uh, we worked really closely as he developed his methodology. I was working mine, and that's when I got to know and be friends with uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, the leading spine biomechanist in the world. Uh, a lot uh, of Power Athlete Radio. Power Athlete Radio. Yep. Um, didn't come quite <laughs> as early. Uh, uh, Dr. Kelly Sturette, uh, one of the most renowned physical therapists in the world. Uh, Dr. Craig. Also a uh, many-time mm-hmm. alum of Power Athlete Radio. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Craig Liebenson, who brought um, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization from the Prague School of Medicine to the United States, and many others. And, uh, and so I started taking clinical courses with them. I started meeting them, talking to them, and next thing you know, like we're friends, we're talking about stuff like more in depth. Next thing you know, I'm presenting alongside of them at stuff like that. And uh, like I said, I'm kind of nerdy. I grasp things in a different manner and see things. I'm not, you know, and, uh, and so I, I started developing that uh, around 2010 and kind of looking at how this stuff doesn't work not only in just a clinical or a rehab population, but how can I actually do this while someone's squatting? How do I don't go down to the floor and do some assess? How do I fix this right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we always stay in the loaded. So I built my assessment and my correction curriculum off of basic loaded movements. And then you can tailor those now that once I understand it in a, in a pressing, a hinge, a squatting or whatever, I could, I could apply it and see it in a yoke carry. I can see it in all these other things. I can go, ah, look, ah, I see this toe doing this. I see the peaky doing this. I see like all this. And I can understand what's happening on the body. And more often than not, we can fix this stuff and never go into this rudimentary stuff that brings about, you know, just awareness and proprioception uh, change because it doesn't bring adaptation. But we do that stuff too as well, because um, there's you know sometimes you need to go there. Um, so it's uh, that's where I started uh, kind of developing that, and then you start seeing gaps in the equipment and stuff out there. And uh, so by 2015 is when I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do this, and that's when I did it. Oh, there was a driver. I had to go to China. Supposed to go to China for like three weeks. And I'm like, man, I don't want to go to for China. What? Um, working with suppliers. I was working for this uh, automotive uh, manufacturing company that uh, fuel systems for uh, Chevy, Ford, and some other uh, companies. And so I had to go. I'd just been working there for like six months, seven months. And I, I, knew, I, I knew I wanted to, to do this move, but it's like, when am I going to make this change? And they're like, so I'm like, I'm supposed to go to China for three weeks. I just, I, I didn't schedule the trip. I just didn't do it. And then the day comes up on the, on the Friday beforehand. And I'm like, I, I'm just not going. <laughs> well, I haven't even scheduled the flights. I'm supposed to fly on Sunday. So, yeah, it was kind of the end of my job. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, that's I'm like, a good I, don't, one. I, I don't want to miss three weeks with my family and three weeks of training to, like, go talk to, you know, people making hoses in China and sensors. And, like, I'm just, I, so it was like, yeah, this is, this is the time. This is the time. Damn. Well, highlight you also do education within Kabuki, which yeah. is part of our passions as well. What was the motivation to now give back? You had you mentioned all these gentlemen you were presenting with before. 
was it now bringing them under your umbrella and speaking to movement? Um, so that was just like, that's how I started basically was producing. I'm like, I saw problems in the industry and I'm like, I don't know what to do about it. I own the gym on the side. I've got this career. I don't have time, but it, man, it bothers me. So I just started dropping videos on YouTube. Like I'd film like five, 10 minutes. Like when I walk into the gym, I'd grab people, come over here. We're going to talk about this, film it with my, with my potato camera, post it on YouTube. And so I started building that and man, I started seeing like change people like messaging me like, man, you got me out of paint, like all this stuff. And uh, so that's been central from the beginning is providing education and doing so for free with all my brands. And, and so that is, that's been a cornerstone. And so we started doing the seminars on the assessment piece right up front or I did with, yeah, well, some of my coaches that have been with me in the gym for so long. Um, cause I owned a gym, uh, you know, before launching into this. And, um, and yeah, so we've just continued that. So we have a staff of people that produce videos on a daily basis. We drop it on our Kabuki Strength YouTube, uh, Kabuki uh, Virtual Coaching Instagram. They're on there for free. Um, so we put uh, videos out constantly on how to move better under load, how to assess, how to fix things. Um, and uh, it's not parallel. It's like human movement under load in, in general. And it's how to, how to feel better, move better, lift more, all these sorts of things. So we do that. Uh, for free and then we do uh, the team the same team that does that is the team that coaches under the same principles and so we coach people around the globe we travel and do seminars well we're starting to travel and do seminars again they were kind of virtual this last year um, and we can't leave the country just yet so we're not sure when we're going to be global but we have north america kind of scheduled right now so so those are that's what we do on the the education stamp front so it's all based on the same stuff that drives our equipment and other pieces. So it's a it's a huge piece because honestly, the education, even though it's the smaller part of our business, is what drives the equipment. That's what creates the innovation and the stuff that we bring to market. Mm -hmm. That's an important distinction because no other equipment manufacturer out there does that. They go by market research. <laughs> What's going to sell? What are other people making? And not like... Hey, what's out there? What are the gaps? What is not being fit on based on the principles of what we believe in movement and loading? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, you guys do the same thing. I mean, you coach based on the principle, scientific principles of training, like, right. And yeah. so, um, we do the same thing. And, uh, so yeah, that's it. I definitely don't want to like, no, I mean, I, you, I, you create a model, you create a blueprint and then you challenge posture and position in the blueprint with different loads and you find ways to help people move better. Yeah. And then you already have to have ways to assess and find weaknesses, which is exactly what we teach. Like, yeah. Hey, here's a list of assessments. Uh, you know, and a lot of times the assessments, if you do them become the corrections yep. and they become like, you know, like what's a corrective exercises, uh, the assessments just keep doing those. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to have to load it up and we're going to yep. have to see where things get loose and then we're going to have to tighten things back up and it's a continued process. And we've got a whole, uh, website that is basically corrective exercise type uh, stuff. So it's fully indexed. It's like 10 bucks a month or something, but, um, but you can go on there, it's got like kind of a guided process for going through this stuff. So if you don't want to pay for coaching, that's fine. Here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a solution that you can walk through yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want guided, so this is an interesting, we play in the, the, the kind of the gray area. So we have, we have um, uh, clinical resources and also return to play. So we'll handle people as they move through that or guide them uh, into a, a clinical component uh, as well. The clinical still needs fleshed out, so some of that is out, uh, outsourced to our some of our affiliates 
that are trained uh, in that, but we have a process and education that those need to go through as well to be uh, tied into the methodology and have the approach, um, because it all comes back to this. The practice isn't, if we want, if somebody goes to see help, the goal is to only have them see that person once. And that's not how a lot of that out there works. Like, oh, you need to book your six, uh, six sessions and you need to, like, no, no, no. I hope to never see you again because we need to get you under load and get some adaptation. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a big component. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'd be amiss not to miss my other company, mention my other companies too. So, you know, um, I do a lot on foot mechanics. So, ah, yes. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> so moccasins. Moccasins. That's all it is. Why am I having, so. No, they look like, yeah. <laughs> they look like high top moccasins. Yeah. We got a low top moccasin too. Yeah. I, I do. We, I, I used to rock moccasins we, all the time. We, uh, we'll have a, a boot coming out this fall. You're going to love it. It's being, uh, tested by, uh, an elite uh, Green Beret team right now. Um, oh, cool. So uh, once we've thoroughly done our testing, uh, we'll have something for people that are going out uh, hunting or going to work in an industrial space or something like that that still embodies these things that allow your foot to work based on these these philosophies of principles about uh, developing strength and control of the foot and ankle complex, which ties, if you don't realize it, so the number one global impact in the body is going to be um, how you manage and control your spinal mechanics. I'm not talking about locking it down all the time when I say that. That's why I'm very distinct when I say managing and controlling because sometimes it needs to be fluid and move, but it's a matter of how we control that stuff. The second largest global impact is going to be the foot and ankle complex. Yeah, well, it's, it's how we and, interact with 99.9% yeah, of the earth is yeah. their feet. So, and if you don't, if you think I'm talking out my ass, I think that you should wake up every morning, put your weightlifting belt on, put your elbow wraps on and, and put your knee wraps on and wear them until you go to bed at night and tell me, what that does for the strength of those areas and how that affects the rest of your body. So when I was just, uh, just because somehow, oh, uh, oh, the foot falls outside of the norm. We train everything and we lose work everything in the body, but no, the foot works different. We should just like wrap it and support it. And it, it, so 20, 20 years, over 20 years ago, uh, as a rookie in the NFL, um, I got drafted to the Eagles and, uh, we had an old podiatrist, um, uh, old Jewish guy, old Jewish doc. And uh, he came in, he looked at my feet, and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to cut you a deal today. I'm either going to make you orthotics or you got to promise me you're going to do something. And if you promise me you can do something, you don't have to wear orthotics. So uh, I was like, let's do the orthotics. So he showed me how to, like, strengthen my feet and, like, do, like, a bunch of mobility stuff for, like, how to, like, make sure to stretch them and this. And we talked about all this foot mechanic. And um, he's like, okay, you're good. I never had any foot problems. And always, uh, you know, stretched my feet, maintained it. Um, he was like, I don't want you to wear shoes. Uh, the, only play, the only time I want you to wear shoes is when you're wearing football cleats on the field. Other yeah. than that, I want you walking around barefoot. We had, like, things like picking up jacks with the toes, yeah, being able yeah. to splay the toes, uh, being able to make sure that the, flow, the foot was mobile, like 26 bones. or uh, And I never had any foot issues. You are so lucky to have found somebody with so, that approach because – they, so he, but but yeah. here, here was the best part. So he's old Jewish doc. Uh, his dad was a podiatrist. And so I asked him years later, Dr. Cohen, shocking. I was like, Doc, where'd you get all that stuff? He's like, well, my dad was a podiatrist. And he goes, well, what do you think we did before we could make orthotics? He's like, we actually had to teach people how to manage their feet. Yeah. He's like, now we just, people are lazy. We just make them fucking orthotics. And it's a re renewable revenue stream because they need new ones all uh -huh. the time. The whole uh, orthotics industry. A meta-analysis of all data in it related to it shows that they do nothing more than provide temporary relief of pain for a six to eight week period of time and no long-term benefit. Yeah. And then you get into, hey, what happens when we start strengthening and controlling that complex? You'll see people have knee pain, hip pain, 
back pain start dissipating as well, right? Because it's all built on, like, well, it, it's, so it's, 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 it's literally, the there's no, there's no science behind it at all. Well, uh, it's this fundamental weakness of the feet and the yeah. collapsing of the arches and all of a sudden the arch collapse and the knee yeah. collapse and then the hip and it starts going up the chain. So anyway, I, I don't want to be like ultra, like, oh, it's, you, you know, be a barefoot life old person, but like spend some time learning, spend some time outside of shoes, spend some time strengthening and using your foot. I create a lot of education on how to do the, the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's fundamental and it'll have an impact. You were, we're talking about your foot in toe position while you're, you know, you know, on the line and the impact that it had on the power output you had in dominating Dude, uh, the people on the, on the other side. I have, like, uh, I've talked about this at nauseum, uh, and tried to even with, um, NFL coaches, defensive line, offensive line coaches and being like, I know what you're teaching, but you're teaching a cheat workaround. Here's how you do this stuff. And it's like, well, the person's got too big. Uh, they lack mobility, all this. I'm like, okay, well then just admit that you're basically teaching a technique that's a workaround for a lot of other shitty problems. Let's fix those problems and then teach efficient movement. Or they don't know how to teach it. Well, they don't also is, understand movement. Yeah, that's it. Or so they I, had one guy that was really gifted do it this way. And they're like, well, this guy's really gifted, not realizing he's a genetic outlier and he's succeeding in spite of his shitty technique. And then they try to just replicate uh, yeah. that, which happens. I mean, I'm sure it happens in powerlifting. Oh, yeah. So yeah, some yeah. guy is doing something and he's succeeding in spite of it being awful. But then everybody goes and does it. Yeah. I, yes. A hundred percent. And then the last one, build fast formula, supplementation. So it's basically supplementation that I use that uh, works with my, my principles around uh, training nutrition. So supplementation i'll just be straight up and clear like if you don't train right if you don't eat right don't waste your time like supplementation is not the answer and i'm not a great salesman um well so it's a supplement it's a supplement you can't supplement it, it, it like, is the cream on the crop and it yeah, will it will well, be additive if you have that other stuff first yeah like, yeah, like yeah. a supplement only works like if it, if you have yeah. a primary that's already switched on yeah so like movement is a great healer and great for recovery well I, if you're taking products that increase vasodilation and enhancement of blood flow through areas, we're having kind of like a mini workout. It's not as effective as doing some light training or other stuff, but we can be fuller, be ready for training. We can, you know, if I, if I'm getting all my protein and all my needs through the day, maybe I need, uh, but you know, life's busy. I'm doing a podcast for three hours and then I'm running to catch a flight and I miss a meal and I've got a bigger window, you know, so I don't want you to take protein shakes. But if you're going to take one, take one that's got a nice, long-lasting blend that'll keep your plasma amino acids elevated for eight hours so that you take freaking just one scoop twice a day and you're going to cover your whole day for, you know, keeping you in that phase of anti-catabolism and keeping muscle protein synthesis up for the six-hour periods for each one instead of, hey, just take some whey protein that's in and out of your system in no time and then you got to do it all day and you got to rely on that, like, sell more, 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 more. Like, so it's it's... Basic, basic stuff. And I've got some really freaking crazy cool products coming up. Yeah, next, I remember so. when we were on the podcast, yeah. you were talking about all these, uh, I think they, you were calling it basiodilators. Yep. And uh, yeah, I, like I, I remember us I, rapping about that and then we never reconnected on it. So, uh, and then we were, <laughs> I was, I was uh, talking to the man behind the camera earlier about uh, uh, lactate and lactic acid, which is like hugely misunderstood. Uh, lactic acid has been like the ugly ducking, duckling of... Uh, you know, strength training when uh, it actually doesn't exist. No, it's lactate. And, and lactate, and, and but they measure lactate uh, thinking it's an indicator of bad things. 
because no. of lactic acid when it's lactate a is a fuel yeah, it's a for fuel. both mental and physical performance. Yeah. And so, uh, which the, is the burning in your muscles that you feel from exercise isn't lactate. No, it yeah. is not. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that, that's old high school sprint no. coaches being like, oh, the lactic no, acid they, build they, up in they your still legs. teach this in college oh, right now. Yeah. It's, it's, Yep. Yeah. Well, lactic acid doesn't. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't exist. It doesn't yet. exist. Well, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> and, uh, it's uh, yeah. So the old the sprint is, coach yeah. taking yeah. tums for his 400 meter runners, uh, it's not going to work. Well, but actually, they, uh, actually, so the, it, it the does. baking soda, so baking yeah. soda works. Yeah, baking soda does because for a buffering lactate. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't buffer the lactate. It buffers the. Um, gosh darn it. I need fresh. It's on my video. It's, uh, the, uh, it buffers the response of. Well, like, you're still getting acidosis from excess hydrogen, which comes from it, and you have the some of the aerobic uh, breakdown that is creating acidosis in the muscle, and so um, it's not coming from lactate or lactic acid, um, because uh, but it is coming, and it creates in the the sorry the the baking soda sodium bicarbonate. If we want to be technical, right, uh, is still going to buffer that. So for events like uh, rowing, doing 405 pound deadlift for reps for a minute, uh, things like that, it can be valuable for increasing that endurance, but it's going to make you shit your pants too. Yeah. So there's a small you know, price to pay for yeah, victory. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it's like taking some charcoal. Yeah. So anyway, um, so uh, anyway, that, that's just, uh, that, that, that's the things I, I, I put out what I do. That's what I, that's what I do. And uh, yeah. So do you have any uh, more grand goal? I mean, you were saying that you want to do a sissy squat with 145 pounds. Are there any other physical grand goals on the horizon? Oh, those like wouldn't... Like want to snowboard Mount Everest? Uh, those wouldn't be... I wouldn't call those grand goals. Those are just like fun things to entertain myself to play with. I call it playing in the gym. So I do all sorts of like random little core strength things and other things. I just set my challenge on those. Uh, my grand goals, you know, they're... I want to change the face of fitness and I want to change the face of it all the way through with this integration with uh, clinical care. Um, and that's, it's a big gnarly thing and uh, there's a lot to it. So that's, that's my grand goal. And uh, I'm really focused on that right now. Do and you, you know, I want to get that war break done. Yeah, get down uh, here and do some wheeling. Dude, uh, I'm in, uh, we should be Moab. That sounds like a plan. Uh, what's the, um, like uh, you keep talking about fitness and I was kind of curious on like how you make the differentiation between like fitness and strength, or if you feel that they're interrelated. I mean, uh, a lot of people listen to this podcast are obviously familiar with CrossFit and the idea of increased work capacity, broad time, modal domains as a, um, as a definition of CrossFit's version of fitness. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that, uh, you know, and especially when you get in with like the CrossFit model, like fitness is just another element or sorry, strength is just another element of fitness. And my contention was strength is a platform or which all life is built on. So how can you pull it out and, you know, and then make a differentiation between like strength and coordination when strength is coordination. So it was kind of an interesting piece. And I just wonder when you talk about fitness, um, what are we talking about? Are we talking about getting people healthier? Are you talking about? Uh, um, no, I'm talking about the building of resilience, the building to be able to, because if you build resilience, you're going to reduce your potential for injury, things that are going to set you back in life, the inability to pick up your grandchild off the floor, the not being able to pick up a bag of groceries or tweaking yourself, getting out of a car. Um, it is developing a resilience to be able to handle the things in life that are going to come at you. And all that stuff is built on capacity um, for, for strength. Now, metabolic function and other stuff. Yeah, sure. That, you know, that, that plays a role. And like for me right now, I look at that as like, personally, what are my goals and how do I want to live and how does this affect those things, sorts of things? So I have to be honest, I don't do, I don't do cardio. 
but I'm doing time under, you know, I do my training nonstop, constant time under tension, a lot of times with blood flow restriction things. So I never stop moving for like 20 minutes. Now that's not going to maximize my ability to do a one rep max, but it maximizes my ability for how much capacity for volume of training I have in a period of time, which is going to allow me to be able to go for a hike um, because my body weight's dropped a little bit because that's uh, also causing a, you know me to lean out a little bit. My ability, again, to tolerate load over time. Well, dude, uh, I don't know how but, you lean out with uh, with you showing me the pictures of that food. <laughs> like his, the picture, uh, like his wife, he's like, oh, she's sponsored by Weber. She's doing this. He started showing me these pictures of the food on his wife's uh, Instagram. I was like, dude, I don't know how you're not 400 pounds. It's, it's, it's like five-star dining every day at my house. I kid you not. So, and my wife does tutorials. So in marketing for, for the different companies, she's going to be on food network, I think next month. Um, but anybody that actually wants to follow and see what I eat, cause I walk around, you can see pictures of me. I walk around, I'm pretty freaking lean all the time. And, um, uh, are you, uh, I mean, is it a uh, caloric restriction fasting? Like what's uh, or is it just, sure. Hey man, I eat a ton and fucking train my ass off. Uh, it is. I, I eat a lot. And, or sorry, uh, I do train a lot, but it just comes down to, if you want to lose weight, eat less. If you want to gain weight, eat more. And I re- just really want to drive home the point. You don't need a, a carnivore. You don't need a keto. You don't need a fasting. You don't, if those work for you, that's fine. They all come down to just reducing your calories. Yeah. Now for performance, I recommend that you eat, uh, one, you need a base level of protein, to be able to have the building blocks. You need a base level of fats for hormone transport and support of the, the body's needs. And then carbohydrates are valuable energy source for athletic performance. So a uh, whole rounded diet. You need your micronutrients. You need to eat greens. Um, but you can look up, uh, uh, so go on Instagram and type in. Uh, I'm, I'm searching your page, but okay. if she's got a specific one or your J- food. I throw it in my stories, So, uh, but uh, JV. So it's Jacqueline with a V instead of an A, J V C Q U E L I N E. Oh man, it was uh, like and she she had these uh, like these pork chops. Oh my god, I like like I'm looking at the picture. And you I'm can like, probably I click on my it. stories and it'll pop. Oh, that's probably we're live right now, yeah, so I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, J V C Q U E L I N E, Jacqueline with a V instead of an A, and uh, so she does tutorials on how to make food. So the the point is that I'm trying to drive home is. To be lean, to be healthy, to be athletic. We do that a lot. What? Sorry. That you do not have to have this this diet that is ultra strict and bland and boring. Like you can eat healthy with amazing tasting food. Yeah. Like it 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 doesn't have to be the broccoli and chicken diet, the bland, because you'll break if you have yeah. like boring shit. Like Dude, so well, I mean, people uh, somehow confuse that like healthy is bo- like no. It's, and, I mean, like the dinner we had last night was uh, I would not that, say that's it was every day for me. Yeah, um, other than the uh, the three bourbons we had, which I consider those to be healthy. Oh my god, whiskey and water, dude. Go up, look Similar at those ribs. Your... Go up, uh, go up. Look on the left. Look at those ribs right there. Click on that. That's a picture I saw. And like well, my, my yep. uh, like I cried a so little. So she bit. does barbecue. That's her. Uh, that's uh, what uh, her focus is. Is barbecue, dude. Uh, you know the the. Uh, I like to think one of the epicenters of barbecue is Austin, Texas. Yeah, I know. I, know. I needed. She she was going to get down here with me. She was going to come with me, but uh, she had the she just booked the Food Network deal, and then she had some work to wrap up for for Weber, the beef company, and actually some nutrition stuff for Kabuki. And she's like, I got to get this that's done great. before I. 
uh, do the show. So uh, is she, she going? Is she going like Iron Chef head to head? Uh, no, not on that. Not yet. Oh, so I, I don't know if I can say what she's on. So okay, we'll see. no yeah. problem. We'll we'll just worry. Well, like one of those cooking shows. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yes. We'll be on the lookout. Dude, I'll tell you, uh, the one guy I would actually enjoy to hang out with and cook with would be Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay? She, uh, I thought you were going to say Guy Fieri. Uh, no, I like Gordon Ramsay. You know why? I like Guy. Uh, Gordon Ramsay is uh, such an asshole. I really just appreciate the fact that he just lambastes these people. What? No, he, that's what, what they need to hear. Dude, no. have you seen him on The Kids? Uh, no. Like his Hell's I, I heard Kitchen he totally Kids? Di- different, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, I mean, great coach. I, it's uh, uh, it's pretty good, but yeah, he he does some cooking demos. He had a great one on, on how to like cook a steak in a cast iron pan. I watched it yeah. and was like, man, I am a Gordon Ramsay fan, and yeah. he has a uh, master class. So she I, did she did saying. sign the contract with uh, Gordon Ramsay last year to be on MasterChef, but then COVID hit and not on the show, which actually ended up being a good Thanks, thing. China. They 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 take like thirty percent of your lifetime earnings once you're on the show, and so. So I'm like, you know, wait, that, like, maybe that was good that fell through. Wait, yeah. wait, thirty percent of your lifetime earnings if you like open a restaurant or write a book or do uh, anything uh, that like post if you were on their show. Yeah, it's a, and then I think egregious. I think they actually control like who you're like because they don't want you using brands that are not like you know. So it, I think it's a good thing that that didn't uh, that didn't happen because wow. I'm like, you know, you can build something on your own. You don't need that as a platform to drive you. And uh, so she just started doing uh, the education Text stuff on herself. Follow good. You should follow that. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. Like those cinnamon rolls. Are phenomenal. Those. Uh, that, that wasn't the only thing on the the, the bone marrow uh, meal. So there was some other. Oh, we had, look uh, at that. Oh, we man. had that was uh, that was Father's Day. Oh jeez. But uh, that was so good. Certified Piedmontese. That's the beef that uh, we use. Mm-hmm. So if you're not familiar with it, it is it's the highest protein content uh, beef in the world. Mm. Uh, it has the be- it has Where, where's it from? Nebraska. It's from Nebraska. Yeah. So they are eating the most nutrient dense grass. Uh, what it is, it's the it's a Piedmontese is the type. So it's you know those bulls that are like massively muscled. Yeah, like the uh, yeah. yeah. That's that's them. So the fat content is really low, but the tenderness. Um, and you know, they actually have poll tests on it is like a mate. It's the best tasting beef you're going to have. It's amazing. And then, but it's, it's like having uh, pork loin or even sometimes better than chicken. As far as macros, it's great. And it's so, so amazing. Good. Oh man. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my wife, uh, if you follow our page, she's got a discount code there for him. I'm mm-hmm. at uh, 20, you know, 25% off. I'm well, we can include those supporting in what she uh, does. But, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, is she, is she, uh, I see she's a big fan of the big green egg or it looks like she has a couple, uh, she's got the, she's got the primo is what she has. So, um, it's the oval one, Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, and then she uses, uh, the Weber too. So we just started using the Weber, um, the old kettle, which works amazing too. Yeah. No, I mean, Uh, I think I saw Duffin on one of these grill videos. Oh, that was a custom uh, pizza oven that I built her. So I had this, I had a keg grill that was a steel one. And so I cut up and bottom uh, half-inch plates in it, and then notched out uh, uh, notched out a feeder, and then put in a broil element. Oh. So it, it plugs into 220, and then you get uh, you can run it up to 900 from on uh, the wood fire. But then it's got the broil element for the top, so it's just like 60 seconds. You slide it in there, and it comes out perfectly crisp, top and bottom. I built mm. that. I built that for her. So yeah, it's got her name, Jacqueline Duffin. Uh, oh, uh, on it. Laser cut stainless steel. The on pizza it. looks amazing. It is amazing. So that's one of our favorite is having like, a, um, you know, one of those wood fired pizzas, just small with a, with a side of a, a steak. Mm. Right. 
and a little bit of salad. Man, that's a great combo. Well, you know, uh, not only big fans of food, but also today is, uh, I mean, it, it's a special day that Chris came and visited us, but also Fast 9 is coming out. Today. <laughs> it's today. Fast and Furious uh, 9 the, day. The ninth yeah. installment of the Fast and Furious saga trilogy. Or it's but trilogy apparently it doesn't it's, have The Rock in it. I'm kind of well. Yeah. Uh, so the the rock and um, they, they have some sort of yeah, yeah some yeah. beef. And, and Vin, yeah. Vin Diesel's claiming now that the reason they had beef is he was pushing the rock to be a better version of himself and to be a better actor. And the rock mm. wasn't. Yeah. What? Yeah, I mean, has what? anybody ever seen? Like, Why don't you tell a story that sounds reasonable? <laughs> well, I mean, if you've seen Hobbs and Shaw, uh, maybe because it was pretty awful. But yeah. um, uh, I cherish everything the rock does. So, uh, but yeah, uh, are you going to see Fast Nine? Uh, I promised Luke that we would go together. Oh, so at man. some point, either I'm coming to Dallas or he's coming here, we meet halfway and find some theater and we race there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. You guys just sit there, just, just one box of popcorn, two hands, maybe some uh-huh. we put kids. the We take the armrest, we put it up uh, in the theater. And they just hold you. Uh-huh. A matinee <laughs> show, so we're the only two there. <laughs> All right, all John, right. John, how are you doing on time? Uh, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I got about another, I think, like five, seven minutes. I I got a call at noon with uh, Dr. Tom and some people from the genetic stuff. There's this uh, group we work with, uh, New Amsterdam Genomics, that um, is probably like the most advanced genetic testing. They're an MIT group, and they basically take your genetics, and then they put you into an AI database, and then it kicks you out all of the research that's associated with your different variants. Mm. And so it's yeah. this huge mm. database. So we did my son. Um, and so I got a call with them at noon to kind of go over some of the things that he's dealing with. So, um, but yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I, I've done some, some of that, uh, genetic testing and review with some, uh, some professionals on the, some different, it's, it's interesting. I'm, yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it's, we have access to so much these days. It's, yeah. I've, it's, I've got a blood sugar real time on my, on here cause I'm. Oh, you do too? Oh Yeah. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Well, I'm testing. So one of my next coming products is a uh, is a designer carb source that's actually paired with a glucose disposal agent that has the ability to shuttle about 80 grams of carbs at once. So you use that while you're training, but then you need to match the Dude. The, the release cycle of the carbohydrate to, so that we're still activating mTOR, but we're also picking up uh, glucose disposal through, cell, through cellular biogenesis Dude. to shuttle straight to month. Like, Dude, it's fucking, it, I'm so, I've been working on this for like since 2016. Dude, so. send it. I, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we do the constant glucose meter and like, dude, I can pretty much, uh, give people a recipe to keep their blood glucose under about 85, regardless of what you do. So, I mean, we've been gone in and like figured out like, like how to like, even our dinner last night, mine didn't spike at all from a massive dinner. Dude, uh, I didn't get over 90. Yeah, eat and, me either. And, yeah. and we, we had three drinks and the whole deal. I can keep it pretty good somewhere between 72 to the point where I woke up the other morning and I was, uh, I woke up at three in the morning, just woke up, yeah. checked it, and I was 34. Yeah. But around <laughs> around training time, it's not bad to have some level of spike because uh, that activates uh, uh, mTOR, yeah. which is uh, the key signaler for uh, muscle protein synthesis, which yeah. is the high, you know, that's the, the biggest reason for depression you know, building muscle skeletal mass. Well, what, but, uh, but, but it's also the vegans attacking protein consumption because mTOR is related to cancer, uh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. funny because then it's like, well, uh, mTOR is raised with lifting exercise and exercise is by far the, the yeah. best uh, form of like anti-cancer. So uh, it's, exact, yeah. it's pretty, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. super fascinating. And then, uh, we want to talk about 
glucose disposal agents. Some people may be familiar with them or not, but uh, uh, they actually work through uh, uh, the pro uh, protein sensing uh, kinase, um, and that senses like low um, low energy. So it tricks the body and think there's low energy, and it tells you to s shuttle and store store energy, and it does so in muscle tissue. But because it's it's a uh, it's energy sensing, it shuts down mTOR because muscle protein synthesis takes so much. So people take it to control blood sugar, but then reduce their ability to gain muscle. Mm. But there's there are other uh, GDAs that aren't on the market that people aren't aware of that actually increase uh, skeletal muscle mass because they work through cellular biogenesis versus uh, as much on the, uh, the AMPK. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to tie all that stuff together. Yeah, no, uh, we'll, anyway, yeah, that's, we'll, that's, that's we'll some of my upcoming more. products. Yeah, no, we'll talk more about that, man. I'd, I'd love to get it. I mean, I'm so deep into this blood sugar thing. Well, I got a video coming out on that shortly because I'm going to start showing what I'm tracking and how and why that is because I'm in the final phase. Like you can look at research all day long, but like, what does it look like? What, when I actually put this stuff together and I walk in the gym and I train and I drink a, a, car, a, a carb shake and I take a GDA and what happens, right? Because I want, yeah, anyway. So I would be remiss to not mention we have some amazing new products, which I talked to you about last night. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we have a... a uh, flywheel trainer so it works on inertia which is there's a couple products on the market but uh, none of them really been executed in the way that i would like to see uh, that we can actually use in more athletic movements that has a big enough base and ability to step off and be able to we're in like yeah no striking we, like I, I doing a takedown them, doing i already told them to package doing, it like, up. it's it's yeah. it's crazy and then ours actually is half the cost of everyone else's because they have to do a floor-based machine and a wall-based machine is two different machines. We run one inertial with a moving mount point that moves anywhere up the wall or across the across the floor. It's wild. So it's patent pending, but it provides us an innovation that takes this tool, drops it to half the cost. It's still cheaper than a belt squat. And it it will if you do belt squats on it, you'll never go to anything else. Mm -hmm. You can put into like 900 pounds of force in this thing. So no, it's, I, it's pretty good. I love the yeah. idea of the eccentrics. Yeah. And then more importantly, like the continued eccentrics in the accentuation phase. Which oh, it, the the, the dynamic mind. loading. So for yeah. athletes, like real athletes, like this is, well, and the studies do show significant enhancement in strength, obviously, uh, uh, hypertrophy. But the, the other thing is uh, tendon stiffness. So mm -hmm. rehab for tendon. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett is using the machine as the foundation for his uh, tendon uh, healing recovery protocol. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, I was introduced yeah. to it for UT basketball. They were big into it. Yeah. Just those freaking monster yeah. men and women. And then the tendon health of them was protection number one levers yeah. but you can yeah. actually start loading stuff that are that you wouldn't be able to like try to do a strike with a pulley machine a cable like or a take you know a, you know taking somebody down and we can load this stuff and it feels like those movements because they're dynamic and responsive it's crazy i love it and then uh we have a new tool coming out next month uh the cubell uh which is a uh <laughs> i don't know how to it replaces a kettlebell uh it replaces a dumbbell uh, it can be used in place of a center mass bell and we can actually change. So just like the flywheel, you can actually, the loading is variable based on how much you put into it. This is variable by the position that it's held in your hand. So I can have a 30 pound weight, create a torque lever on the joint, which is actually truly what uh, creates the, uh, the, the response go anywhere from 20 to 65 pounds or so. It depends a little bit on your leverages while we'll the calculator on the site. So you can figure that out. Um, but now you can actually, and you can, and because of the changing leverage points, I can actually change the force curve of a movement. So I can take a movement like a curl that's really easy at the start and make it hard 
was still doing the same weight at the top, same load or torque moment at the top, or the same thing with a with, with a like a uh, a delt raise or anything like that, or your time under tension. Like you go to press, uh, you do a bench press at the top, all the joints are stacked and there's no force. But now I can put a moment arm on there, so even at the top of a press or a fly, there's no stop. The force is actually open opening you for that adduction. So you're never stopping. It's freaking wild stuff. I've been training with this stuff for a year, uh, probably about 80% of my time. I, that's why I haven't been posting a lot of my training this last year because new gear, new gear. And I couldn't, nice. you know, like, uh, I don't want to get killed with constant questions about that. Like, I'm excited, dude. Like, anyway, no, man, that, uh, we've been talking about that flywheel yeah. for a long time. You're uh-huh. going to fucking yeah. love this. Yeah, so, no, yeah. we'll, and yeah. then, uh, and then also that Cadillac bar. Um, I, oh, we, we, yeah. we were talking about how much. Uh, I hate the football bar for the fact that like yeah. it has this motion, and then the fact that we were going through the Cadillac bar. So, no man, I definitely yeah. think uh, um, exciting, innovative, you know, and the the fact that you're designing these things to meet the demands of like the bigger picture, which is increasing human movement and finding better ways yeah. to for people to to do it. It's a fucking home run, man. Thank and you. then I've got some free uh, free offers to to throw out. So I am. Um, if you go to my website, my personal website, Chris Duffin, that's like muffin, but with a D, easy to remember. That's how you can find me on social media too. Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. You know, I don't need to remember the avatars. Just type in Chris Duffin. Uh, you'll find me. Um, ChrisDuffin.com or ChristopherDuffin.com. I'll give you the free first half of this book, The Eagle. Um, it'll probably be a couple weeks before it gets emailed to you. Um, no strings attached. Just sign up for my email list and that's it. You can get a, um, a free Audible uh, as well, but you have to, and it and another book, but you do have to sign up for an Audible account. So it's not like really free, free, but it's a pretty amazing deal uh, if you do that. But I'm giving away the first half of this uh, okay, for good. free, free. Uh, and then uh, you'll probably get uh, some info uh, and maybe even uh, an advanced copy of my next book, mm-hmm. Create Shit, Do Shit, Live Beyond the Extremes, The Unconventional Executive's Guide to Business and Life. It's a great title. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty, I, I like it. And, uh, it it's, uh, uh, and then um, you'll be signed up for the education, uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call the education that isn't available to the public, uh, exclusive, uh-huh. exclusive education uh, stuff from uh, Build Fast Formula, Kabuki Strength, and, and uh, Barefoot Athletics uh, via the same thing. Just go there, sign up. Uh, you'll get lots of free stuff. Uh, you'll be able to get some exclusive, exclusive discount codes, which we don't typically have sales uh, for any of my companies. So, well, you used to have a bitch in Black Friday sale, and then uh, I think we we probably took advantage too much, and now uh, you guys don't do that. Anymore. Yeah, so that was that was the big one, and that was the big one, and so many people took advantage of it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much money we lost that uh, Black Friday. Dude, so it was like, it, it, it it was was like buy three bars, get two bars. I like, I just went. And I, was, I, I was like, just send us everything. We so we it took us to it took us like six months to catch up from that one. I swear, and it was it was not probable. Yeah, no, I, not, I, I like, like like when I was yeah. calculating, I'm like, there's no way you can give me a free bar and free shipping. I'm like, there's no, no fucking way. No, and yeah. uh, I marketing I, got a little carried away on that one. Um, <laughs> well, thank yeah. you, thank you. <laughs> so anybody took advantage of that, yeah, remember that because oh. <laughs> we can't do that again. <laughs> oh man, like uh, yeah, I I was like, uh, I'll just get another one. Just keep on. I mean, as you notice, we got like a shoulder rock. We got, I just was like, uh, if you're gonna give me this, I'll just happily. You're obviously <laughs> doing it. I'm here to support you. <laughs> uh, you're like you rotten son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, Power Athlete Radio, thank you so much for joining us in this episode with uh, Mr. Chris Duffin, the mad scientist, Kabuki Strength, 
Um, I'm joined by obviously Mr. Chris McQuilkin, aka Tex, my co-host. Uh, I get that. Who the hell is Chris? A lot as well. So I was thinking that earlier because he's calling you Tex. I'm like, I thought you were Chris. Uh, I'm, I'm so confused. Same thing happened. We yeah. got Kabuki Chris and we got Tex Chris. So thanks for joining us on another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Chris Duffin and learn more about Kabuki Strength by going to kabukistrength.com. Until next time, bye!